Hey everyone, apologies for the difference in audio quality for this particular recording. As you may have noticed, if you follow Twitter, at least follow me on Twitter, had a little bit of trouble getting this done, but I really wanted to make sure that this trigger warning, content warning, and information was put at the beginning of this episode. So we're kicking off disgust with this episode. And as you can imagine, when we're talking about disgusting things, we're also going to get into why things are disgusting and explore that. So uncomfortable conversations are going to take place, and this one was no exception. What I wanted to add before I get to the trigger warnings is just a bit of perspective here. Uh, this is something I kind of say at the end of it, but there's still some perspectives that I failed to put into the episode. So just real quick, I want to make it really clear. I do realize that both Trace and I are white, and therefore we're only talking from our perspective as white people. And of course, I think that the nuances of what we're discussing here, culturally, there are going to be differences in how people behave, how people feel, and how they respond to things according to uh, racial dynamics within different cultures. So I don't want to imply that that's not a thing or to seem as if we weren't keeping that in mind. It was just something we forgot to actually mention in the conversation. So I want to acknowledge that. If I sound out of breath, I just got to work. <laughs> I've been on the train all day. But I just wanted to make that clear. And I also wanted to make it clear that some of the conversation that we're having is really just us from our own perspectives. Now, I assume most people understand that when they're listening to a podcast. But just in case you get a little caught up in what we're saying, maybe we say something that's uncomfortable. I know I say a few things, give a few insights about my own past that might be a bit confronting for some people, might be a bit shocking as well. So it's just my lived experience. It's just Trace's lived experience. On to the film itself. Trigger warning. I wanted to put this out there for anybody listening in case you didn't catch the show notes. But in my show notes, I do put content warnings in case we discuss anything that could be uncomfortable for someone. And in this case, there's a lot. Dead Girl features a lot of sexual assault. It features a lot of conversations about rape. It shows moments of rape. It even broaches the discussion about what is the line of rape because we're talking about objectification. We're talking about human versus inhuman, otherness, things of this nature. This is where we get led into some of the more uncomfortable conversations that we have. But I want to make it really clear that this is not an easy watch, nor is it necessarily an easy listen. If we seem like we're having too good of a time, it's because the film does have a bit of a over-the-top tone, and I think we're latching on to that, the campiness of it all, but also you need to be able to find some sort of levity in heavy topics at times to survive them, at least I find. So it's not to diminish anybody's lived experiences, nor is it to actually take away from the topic that's being discussed. It's just that we were enjoying our conversation and our dynamic, and we were also a bit overwhelmed with the content of the film itself and just kind of expressing how overwhelming it is and what kind of mindset it put us in. So I just wanted to make all of that clear before you listen to this, and I will endeavor to make these sorts of audio trigger warnings in the future if we have conversations that could possibly cause some difficulty for anybody listening. I don't want you to be shocked by things like that, but uh, if you haven't seen Dead Girl, but you are sensitive to conversations about rape, sexual assault, gender identity, objectification, 
perhaps this is not a listen for you, but you can decide that for yourselves. But it, it doesn't bother me at all if this is just not one you can listen to. I thank you for even getting this far and for listening to any of them. But I will say the movie itself, if you haven't seen it and those sorts of topics bother you, all I can say is massive trigger warning there. It doesn't let up. It hits pretty hard. Fortunately, it doesn't take itself too terribly seriously in its content, but that could also be a problematic situation for you as well. So keep those things in mind, and if you're still with me, enjoy the episode. Thank you. Welcome to The Beauty of Horror, a podcast dedicated to exploring the unsettling beauty found within our favorite genre. Each episode, I usually sit down with a different guest to discuss a horror film they find particularly beautiful and why. However, with the changing of the seasons comes a shift in our focus. For the remainder of the season, I will put beauty aside to explore a more broad scope of aesthetics. I'm doing this to show how the discussions I have had about beauty can also be applied to other aesthetic experiences, and to explore what those aesthetics do to us as viewers, as well as what they communicate artistically. For the next three months, we will be diving into the goop, the gloop, the rancid, and all things gross, while taking an uncomfortably close look at the aesthetics of disgust. I'm your host, Chandler Bullock, and my first guest to lead me on this masochistic journey is a Rotten Tomatoes-approved critic and horror writer for Bloody Disgusting. He is also one half of the Horror Queers podcast for the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. He's here, he's queer, and he seemingly has no fear. Beautiful greetings to Trace Thurman. <laughs> oh my god, hello! Thank you for that. That was awesome. I, lo I love hearing my own intros. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll soak it up. I, I had a lot of fun making that one as well, uh, especially with the pick that you gave us today. I was like, this man has no fear and is, is impenetrable. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I didn't know I was your first one of these, so I'm happy to um, just kind of throw you over into the deep end. Uh, and that you did. In fact, in, in ways that I think, you know, others are going to test me in their own ways. And this one, I think, has the most unique test kind of in the heart and soul of it. Mm -hmm. The very, very gloopy, dark soul that is in this movie. Um, so yeah, I, I think that we're starting strong here. <laughs> it, it, we are, I mean, it's Dead Girl, right? And this is a first time watch for you, right? It is, it is. Uh, I had heard of it, I think, around the time that it came out, but I will admit around the 2000s, you know, mid mm -hmm. to late 2000s, was a time where I was kind of drifting away from horror in general. Yeah. I was just kind of focused on my own life and stuff, and the horror scene for me wasn't online. It was just in my own circles, and eh. Yeah, just, you know, I had a lot of competitive friends who just used it as an excuse to be like, but you haven't seen those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and not all the movies they saw were worth seeing. So uh, I just kind of was like, whatever, enjoy that. I don't have time for that right now. Well, I mean, that's kind of why I'm interested to talk about this movie, though, because this is a film that, I mean, it is polarizing, right? Like, uh -huh. it's a lot of toxic masculinity on display, a whole lot of rape, and it, it's especially nowadays it's a very touchy subject matter and so the film got a lot of criticism for being misogynistic and i think those are very valid critiques but i also think there's a lot of commentary here on why that is bad um yes 
And also some darkly comedic aspects to it as well. Yes, and we're going to get into all of that. Uh, I have plenty to say, and I'm really happy <laughs> to have you on for this as well, because, you know, you knowing the film, at least from when it came out, and mm-hmm. you know, your your expertise tends to come from, like, you're good at digging into discourse of the time, presenting a, a little bit of more of a, a, an umbrella on that. Yeah. And, and I bring in the philosophy. So No, that that's great. Well, and it's <laughs> going to be interesting, too, because we are two cisgendered men talking about a movie that's about a woman getting raped a whole bunch of times. So it's going to be an interesting line that we're going to tiptoe across. <laughs> and we'll do our best. Uh, before we do begin, though, I, I as uh, all of you know, I do like to kick off each episode with a quote, and these different sections of different aesthetics will be no different. And I will do the same today, but today's quote is going to be a bit more of a definition than usual, since I do want to lay the groundwork for what I mean about disgust, since all of us have different ideas, either colloquially or just personally, of what particular terms might mean. So we're all on the same page when we're listening, what we're mm-hmm. talking about. So it is as follows, and I, of course, will reveal who said this later in our discussion when I want to come back to it. But the definition I have right now is disgust is an emotion that is visceral, reactive, and uncomfortable. It is also purposefully aroused by art in ways that contribute substantially to the meaning of a work. In such cases, aesthetic disgust is a component of understanding and appreciation. Disgust comes in many varieties, including the humorous, the horrid, and the tragic. The responses it elicits can be strong or subtle, but few are actually pleasant. Therefore, aesthetic disgust raises an ancient question. How is it that emotions aroused in practical life become the focus of pleasure or enjoyment when they are aroused by art? I will get into that a little bit later, um, but just so now that we have our definitions and all that, and before we dive too deep into the real nastiness of Dead Girl, uh, (laughs) Trace, I haven't had you on before, and I'm sure you've mentioned this on other podcasts, but you're on mine now. So uh, just in case I do have any unique viewers who have somehow found me before they found you. Mm-hmm. Um, what Horror? Why? What is it? Like, how did you get into all of this and, and what's keeping you coming back to it? You know, I, I I do get asked this a lot. I have kind of the same kind of spiel, and I'll give a version of that here. But it's one of the, like, I never, like, I can't pinpoint a moment to where I was like, oh, I'm really into horror now. Like, it was always a thing where it was just a forbidden aspect, you know? It's a little taboo, like, oh, horror is trash, horror is bad for you. You're a kid. You can't watch R-rated movies and blah, 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 blah. And it was that kind of forbidden aspect that made me want to get into it. I was like, oh, this is I'm not allowed to do this. Why not? Let me go into it. But I couldn't watch a lot of the movies that I wanted to watch. So I couldn't watch you know, your Halloweens, your Freddies, your your nightmares, whatever. And so I <laughs> I watched a lot of Scooby-Doo as a kid and um I I do I I know it's silly to say cuz the children's cartoon show, but like Scooby-Doo is 100% gateway horror and like a lot of whodunits and especially slasher whodunits like ape the Scooby-Doo model for better or worse. But it was also a thing where it's like, I mean, I wasn't allowed to read Goosebumps as a kid. And my mom told me, she was like, well, if you want to if you want to watch Goosebumps, you have to read two of the books, not have nightmares and report back with like what they're about. So I know you read the entire thing. And <laughs> I fucking did it. So <laughs> but um, and so that I mean, it was a thing where it was like it was all it was always like in, in the world of film and television, like horror was that one genre. It was like, you're really not allowed to watch these things. And so I just took it upon myself to be like, well, I'm going to do everything I can to watch this. And in terms of the genre itself, I mean, it, 
I'm a big fan of roller coasters. I'm a big fan of thrills. And mm. I find a lot of catharsis in horror. I mean, and I think there's also something to say about how horror as a genre is really looked down upon by um, not as much anymore, but you still have your naysayers. But like for the longest time, horror was that bastard redheaded stepchild of the film world, right? Like it got no respect. It was lowbrow. Um, and I kind of relate to that in a bit. I mean, like not to link it too much to my queerness, but like being queer, you find yourself being an outcast a lot of the time. So I kind of related to horror as a genre for being an outcast as well. I totally get where you're coming from there. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I think that's just one of those things, right? Like you, if you know that in your daily life and then you, even if you have like a, a mild interest in something, the moment somebody says like, I don't like it because it is, it, it just, it is what it is. You're yeah. like, well, that makes me want to explore it just a little bit more to understand what it is. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and uh, at the risk of sounding like a petulant child. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's like an innate human feeling, right? Like someone says, don't do this. And you're immediately like, well, I want to do it now. So, yeah. <laughs> of course. I love that you, out of all the people that I've spoken to so far, are the only one who's like, well, I'm into horror because I earned it, goddammit. I, I did. Uh, <laughs> you know? Funny story. It was actually the same thing. Like, um, Do you remember Boz Lorman's Romeo plus Juliet, the one with yes. like Leonard? So I was not allowed to watch that movie either. And I was in, I think, third or fourth grade. And, oh. you know, we had like the book fair. And I, my mom said, well, you know what? You can watch it if you read Romeo and Juliet and you can come back and tell me what it's about. And huh. I did. <laughs> <laughs> she was not happy about it because about 20 minutes into that movie, she was like, I don't want you to watch this. And I was like, too late. We had a deal. <laughs> I read that fucking play. <laughs> so I'm out of curiosity, if this isn't going too deep into your, your upbringing, but mm -hmm. um, like, so was it more of a thing about the content of it and her making sure that you were more, uh, you, you were mature enough to process those things? Or was it really like, uh, the adaptation is never going to give you the same richness that the original source material is going to give you. Oh, it's most definitely the former. It is not the latter. <laughs> Could have been. I mean, I mean, again, third or, third or fourth grade, like, I mean, I'm like eight or nine years old. And yeah. admittedly, I don't know why I wanted to watch Romeo and Juliet. Like, what, what about that appeals to an eight or nine-year-old child, right? But for some reason, I wanted to see it. <laughs> It's the Baz Luhrmann of it all, you know. It's like it's flashy. It's it's also in a, in a way I would I would say what I've always had with them when I was growing up as well. Even though I was definitely not into Romeo and Juliet when it came out, mm -hmm. there the just the fact that we now know, of course, like it's a very queer eye in in these films, and that's kind of unique, especially in the '90s, to get yeah. it so blatantly on screen. So you're just kind of like, what is this? <laughs> this is so different from everything else, and I can't pinpoint why. Yeah. And I think that has a lot to do with it. There's this allure, and frankly, yeah, I think parents are picking up on it, and then they're like, maybe you shouldn't see that movie. <laughs> well, I mean, and that's the thing, right? Like, I mean, uh, horror it deals with a lot of taboos. So even though, yeah, like the, the, like a lot of people, a lot of children aren't allowed to watch horror films because their parents are like, don't want to deal with their nightmares. Or it's like, yeah, mm -hmm. the, the content sometimes is too mature, Unless we're talking about, like, you know, family horror, like Hocus Pocus. Although even that's a film where I remember when that came out, I was four years old and my parents wouldn't let me watch it because they were like, I mean, admittedly, there is a headless zombie in that movie. So I'm sure for yeah. a four-year-old, it's a little scary. <laughs> but horror as a genre is able to deal or at least address or talk about a lot of these taboos, um, a lot of really sensitive subject matter, a lot of really upsetting subject matter. And, you know, for better or worse, some to, like, like better effect than others. But that's what I love about it. I love that we get to kind of like deal with things that are troubling through an artistic medium. 
that's what keeps me coming to it as well. Yeah, it's something about, like you mentioned catharsis. And mm-hmm. I know that it's funny, when I was doing my studies, especially when we were talking about beauty and other aesthetics and stuff, they tried really hard to make us separate feelings of like catharsis from these sorts of aesthetic experiences and emotions that we were having. Right. Just to really understand what the hell we were talking about. But in discussions of horror in philosophy, it's become a cliche at a certain point of like coping and catharsis and it helps, you know, you build the emotional building blocks to continue. And I would say maybe on a cognitive level, if we're talking about how the brain develops as if it were a computer, Mm -hmm. I kind of get that to a certain extent, if that's a little played out because I'm sure there's more nuance to it than that and there's (laughs) a lot more going on. Right. But I will say on an emotional level, it's not not true. It's still there. So cliche or not, it's like a driving force for a lot of us that somehow either due to hardships that we've had or just due to the fact that we're seeing people we don't like kind of get fucked up in a movie. We're really just like, ah, you're really challenging me today. But I mean, that's the, like I saw an article this week or maybe, maybe it was a tweet. I don't know. Honestly, who cares? But (laughs) it was like, how can people get enjoyment out of horror? I don't understand. And it's a thing where it's like, I mean, those are the people that probably also don't like roller coasters because they don't like that thrill. They don't like that endorphin rush and like the, the flood that comes afterwards. Um, Whereas I, I do like, I mean, I'm a pretty, I don't want to say anxious person, but I'm a, uh, hyperactive person and so a lot of times for me watching a horror movie is a really good way to like get all my energy into a ball and release it during those moments where i'm very very scared you know i you know i want to see studies on this now because i have adhd mm-hmm. and although my hyperactivity has now been converted into hyper focus basically yeah uh and just straight up aggression if i start to have like a panic attack or something mm-hmm. it, you know it is something that I it calmed me down as a child. Horror was just one of those things that I would just stop and be like, whoa, <laughs> and just be caught up for a moment and just feel quietly sitting on the floor going, no, no, no. And then you're like, that was awesome when you're done with it because you're tired for some reason. You've got yes. all of this energy. <laughs> I mean, it's and not to get too graphic, but it's honestly kind of like an orgasm, right? Like after you, mm-hmm. you come, yeah. like you have that moment where you're like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm tired now, but I feel I have that clarity. Like there's like a mental clarity post-orgasm. And I kind of feel the same way about post-scares, even jump scares, like whatever. And I'm glad that right. you brought up ADHD because like, Weirdly enough, I was diagnosed last week with it <laughs> after oh, wow. after like after years of me avoiding like dealing with it. Um, but I'm in the middle phase where I'm like, I'm about to get prescribed medication, but I'm not yet. And I'm excited to see what happens to my brain when I am. Yeah. But yes, well, I, I think maybe horror is a way that I've kind of like self-medicated almost. <laughs> maybe that's a terrible term to use. Well, it, it isn't. It isn't right because if that's what it's ha- if that's what ha- what is happening, that's what is happening. And mm-hmm. I you know better that than other ways that I have self medicated. That's right. Sure. <laughs> uh, and like if you can get your kicks out of just scaring the shit out of yourself for an hour and a half at a time, I think that doctors wouldn't be too adverse <laughs> to that right uh, process. As long as I'm not doing the murdering. Exactly, and you know our brains go a little faster, so sometimes we're probably like, I wonder how comfortable that mask is, you know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, you know, I think it's really cool that you're going through that journey as well. And, you know, it's it's tough. It really is tough. And I really hope that this journey helps you also find what it is that you're trying to, like, understand a little bit better. Because, dude, there's a lot to understand that's left. I know. <laughs> 
<laughs> Touche. But I, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Ah, well, you know, kindred souls here in that respect then. Um, uh, and yeah, okay, so this is it's really cool. Uh, just knowing where, where you're coming from with it and, and, and seeing how you kind of got to Dead Girl, basically. Uh, <laughs> um, and I have a feeling if I had still really been into the genre at the time, I probably would have picked it up. It's just like the 2000s have that thing, right? Where the quality of it is questionable in the delivery sometimes mm-hmm. and if you're not into that knots vibe you're just like and you kind of walk away from it i mean because this film is i mean i, I I'm, I'm not 100 percent certain but i'm pretty sure it's shot on 16 millimeter because this looks very grainy and dirty right mm-hmm. yeah it, it 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 does have a, a much more tactile kind of look to it than a lot of the digital films did at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But this does feel right at home in that because we're in the mi- well, I was say in the middle of torture porn. We're kind of at the end of torture porn yeah. as we're going into like found footagey type stuff. But like this does feel right at home in that world of like post saw, post hostile, post um, captivity world. It's funny you should mention that because I was saying this to my partner when we were watching it. I was saying to her like, look. You see them in this bunker, and they're stuck with the door and everything. It's around mm-hmm. the end of the film. Yes, yeah. just I'm, you know we we don't do play by plays here. It's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was like, you have no idea how many movies from 2002 to 2012 <laughs> had teenagers stuck in fucking metal bunkers because this is what I you know the the beauty of this is this is what it was like to have no budget movies. Yeah. Grab some cameras, get a really cheap cast, and be like. Hey man, I found a bunker out by like th- my backyard. <laughs> it's abandoned. Nobody's gonna claim it. Can we just film there? And we're like, hey, let's just do a psychological thing of them getting trapped and see what they do to each other. And it was done over and over and over again in different ways. Mm-hmm. So I got some major flashbacks watching this movie, like the cave, you know, things like that. Yes. Um. The, the I've never seen this one, but the hole, the one with um. Oh God, it's it's like Kira Knightley and Thora Kira Birch. Knightley. Yes, that's that's what I was thinking. Sorry, not the cave. The oh that's yes. It. Yes, it's exactly where it threw me back. I was like, oh, man, this is I've seen this before. Mm -hmm. And now it has a dead girl on top of it. Um, It does. Before we dive too deep into it, uh, I do want to quickly read out uh, a synopsis for those who have not seen the film. We do get into spoilers. So if you really want to experience this for yourself before you hear us go through our experience with this film, uh, please go ahead, check it out, come back. You know, you have all the time in the world. It's a podcast. Hit pause. (laughs) Uh, But I'm going to read out just the IMDb little synopsis because I also like to do this fun little thing where I get to be a little lazier than I was during my initial season and not kill myself writing really long synopses, even though they were fun. Uh, And also see if the IMDb synopsis holds up to the actual film Uh, because it's one sentence, which is two high school boys discover an imprisoned woman in an abandoned mental asylum who cannot die. Hmm. <laughs> it's not an inaccurate description of the right. film. It's just a little lacking in um, core information. I guess. Well, I mean, it's a thing, right? Like that, that uh, we're going to use the word rape a lot in this episode. Yes. And I do feel like that that is maybe I, I, honestly, if I'm going to give this movie a synopsis, it's, it's two boys find a zombie girl in a bunker and one of them decides to use her as a sex slave. Like that that is yeah. pretty much what the plot of this movie is. That is more accurate if you want to give a one sentence synopsis. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I am amazed that they made an hour and 40 minutes 
of that premise. <laughs> Honestly, when I turned this movie on the other day, I was like, it's an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. thought for sure this was an 85 minute movie. No, no, I was shocked when I turned it on yesterday and I just looked at my partner. And I'm like, it's going to be, it's going to be a while. So sit down. <laughs> Quest. All right. So uh, let me get this out of the way now. So did you yeah. and or your partner like this movie? We loved it. Really? Okay. In, in, Interesting. In a, in a way of like, it was very entertaining and did such a good job of making us scream at these characters the whole way through of like, what the fuck is wrong with you? What are you doing? Yeah. Oh, this is the problem with people. You know, like that kind of yeah. stuff. Well, that's, I mean, I, I feel like, I feel like, and maybe you disagree. I feel like this movie requires a lot of suspension of disbelief because there are a lot oh, of yeah. who in their right mind would make some of these decisions, right? Yes. But I think that's where the, the writer Trent Haga's commentary comes in because he's trying to make a commentary on how horrible toxic masculinity is and how rape culture is. So this almost feels borderline like not parody, but like heightened reality where it's like we have to have these characters do this stuff to make our point. Yes. In fact, I actually kept referring to Scream while we were watching it because mm -hmm. like JT gave me such Matthew Lillard Stu vibes, especially <laughs> at like, you know, Stu at the end of it, like, well, oh, my mom's gonna be pissed. Like that was no, sorry, Wheeler was giving me those vibes. Oh like, yes. Oh, he's just oh. like, we're gonna get fucked up, man. Well, like, I mean but, well bad. that's the thing too, right? Because we have JT and Wheeler, because we, we walk in and we think it's going to be JT and Ricky. And then we get Wheeler that kind of comes in and takes Ricky's spot for the meantime. It's very Leopold and Loeb, the very, very famous murder case that is also mm -hmm. uh, a re reference slash adapted in Alfred Hitchcock's rope and to a lesser extent, Billy and Stu and Scream and okay. There's also a lot of queer undertones in those stories because it's two men murdering people to essentially get off. Um, yeah. And this movie really like goes ahead with that thought process because a lot of these men are f like fucking this dead girl in front of each other just fine. Not only that, but they're also sharing in their own excrement and you know bodily fluids. There's even a line yes. in it where you have the two clearly straight guys who come in, the jocks. Mm -hmm. who were there, the bullies. And when his friend, the the, the lesser <laughs> follower, basically, is like, I'll do it. And then the, the leaders is like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, well, come on, let's just, you know, let's take turns. He's like, what? And just, you know, use the same area that you had your, you know, stuck yeah. in. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, dude, he's thinking about STDs. He's thinking about all this cross-contamination and stuff. And the, the whereas JT and Wheeler are just like, oh, they, they just don't care. They didn't even think about it. <laughs> It's yeah. The, the fact that there is no mention of any kind of condom or safe sex practices in this movie is <sighs> is so gross. It is disgusting, for lack of a better term. Yeah, that is the stuff. It was the moment that they started that just even started that I was just like, so she's dead and undead, mm -hmm. and instantly my partner's like, you remember that story about the STDs that were spread from a mortician who would have sex with the bodies? I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> And so she instantly thought of like, just use a condom. If you're going to be really fucked up, at least be smart about it. Well, I think that's a missed opportunity too, right? Because the, according to the logic of this movie, you can only like become a zombie if you get bit. Not even scratch. It has to be bit. Yeah. The fact that there is no sexual transmission of this virus, I find oh. very interesting. Like, Me too. I, I, I wish that would have been a thing in it. But I guess if you have that, then you can't have JT repeatedly have sex with this girl. 
plus if you're also trying to combat you know toxic white masculinity yeah and you are you're, you're doing yourself a disservice by not uh, you know addressing the portion of men who would go but a condom doesn't feel nice Oh God, no! <laughs> I I once had a guy because I yeah you know, I, I I like to practice safe sex and I once had a guy that was like oh I'm allergic to latex and I was like cool that's great um there are latex free condoms and yeah. he just ghosted me and I was like okay well, so the issue is you're not allergic to latex you just don't like condoms like that you can just say that and we could have dealt with this a lot sooner Me- dealt with it meaning like we would have just parted ways <laughs> yeah it's it's so strange like this is what people mean when they say like you tell on yourself without saying anything. Yeah. You just, it's your actions just make it clear. Like, so now I've just learned communication about you. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, I, I don't know much about the straight male world, but at least in the queer community, like, um, the desire to bareback, um, is bareback meaning sex at a condom. I don't know if that's something in straight worlds, but, <laughs> but it's very much a th- like a thing that a lot, not, not the community in general, but there's a certain subset of the community that really prioritizes that. And it's right. not even just the, oh, condoms like don't feel good or they're uncomfortable. It's very much a, almost like a power thing. Like, you know, breeding an ass for lack of a better phrase is, is something that is a big turn on for people. And the inclusion of a condom is an immediate, like, Oh, that's a, that's, that's a boner killer immediately. And it's, I mean, no shame, no shade. You know, if you want to take the risk, take the risk, whatever. But it's also like, there's a lot of pressure that comes from that onto other people that may want to have safe sex. So it's a bigger conversation probably than what we can have here. But, um, I, saw that a lot in this movie like not not yeah. you know per, play by play but it i see aspects of shared problems in in queer and non-queer men and that power dynamic you mentioned that that's at the core of a lot of it as well and when you what you know what you're saying there with the whole if we just use condom as condoms as the example mm-hmm. it's like it's an insemination thing Right. Yeah. It's really the fact that your bodily fluids have entered somebody else's body, whether yes. that actually inseminates on a biological level or not. You have now infected someone with yourself, basically, mm-hmm. like a parasite. And I like that the film here has essentially a zombie mm-hmm. that is a parasite and spreads a virus. Yep. And then you have the people who are actually wanting to have that power over the zombie to yeah. an extent. Very bizarre stuff. Well, I mean, that's the thing. You know, I say, oh, like, like, yeah, like, one, like, wanting to pressure someone to have sex, like, without a condom, like, yeah, that, that, that is a form of power too. But also, rape itself is all about power, right? Rape is not about sexual pleasure. It is about feeling ownership and power over the person you are raping. Yes, and in JT's instance, how quickly he dehumanizes the dead girl to begin with. Oh, immediately, it. immediately. It's, yeah. I mean, JT is one of the most despicable characters I've ever seen in a horror film. Like, I, I feel comfortable saying that. Here's where I can totally imagine why you're like, oh my God, you enjoy this movie, uh, is because if we want to look at it objectively speaking of like mm-hmm. what's good, what's bad versus like what's reprehensible. I mean, I, I can, right. I definitely like to differentiate those things. Yeah. So JT is totally reprehensible for a purpose though. That's why I can enjoy the story arc, mm. if you will. But the the parts of it that didn't work for me and where it has that 2008 writer kind of jank to it, mm-hmm. it's like, so to do, they do that character twist where Ricky comes across as the incel piece of shit, yeah. just staring at this girl and acting all weird in high school. Mm-hmm. And then you, and he's all emo. <laughs> and then you have uh, JT who's like, hey man, stop acting like such a weirdo. 
what are you doing? And then as soon as he sees this, this woman strapped to this thing, he's just suddenly like, I have lost all humanity and I, I'm an animal. Even when they're just at the asylum, when they just kind of come in at first, again, yeah. JT acts a little bit like, oh, this is fine. I guess you like this. You're, you're a nice little goth kid, basically. And Ricky's yeah. like, whatever. And then instantly JT just like burps, crushes a can and just starts breaking shit. Like, what <laughs> just happened? Yeah, I, I mean, even with Ricky, I mean, I, I, I'm jumping to the end here, but like the film yeah. does that kind of end of movie twist, I guess, yeah. where it's like, oh, you thought JT was the really crazy one. But look, Ricky is just the same, even though he presents nicely. He's just the same. And it's it's not I think it's something that's kind of expected. Like it's kind of a like, have you ever seen the movie Murder by Numbers with Sandra Bullock and Michael Pitt and Ryan Gosling? No, but I do like the name of like the list of that cast. So the movie, the movie's fine, uh, but it's very much uh, these two boys murder someone, and Sandra Bullock is the cop that's going after them. And like Ryan Gosling, it's like 2002, by the way, so early, early Ooh, Ryan Gosling. Young. Um, but he he's the one, he's the JT of the situation. Like he's clearly okay. the psychopath. And spoiler alert: the twist at the end of the film is that you know, the boy that he's been grooming, Michael Pitt, who was there but was like whatever, he's the one that actually committed the murder. So. I got that vibe in this this that dynamic in this movie right away. I think we'll have in, a lot to talk about though when it comes to why he makes. I mean, again, if we call it a switch, you could make the argument that he has always been a piece of shit. But you could also read the movie as saying, well, he becomes a piece of shit because this girl keeps rejecting him. And I think that's a very interesting. I think both reads are accurate, and neither one is wrong. Fair. I will say then, if we let's say you take this reading of well, because she's rejecting him, it kind of mm-hmm. leads him into this this downward spiral. It does show that there's still something innately in him that is uh, misogynistic and that is predatorial because he, it's like the difference between him and JT essentially is like he could never do what JT was doing because he just sees a random person. So he does at least see people as people. Mm-hmm. So by the end of it, he's even worse because it's like oh, it's because. I care for you and yes, he knows her and he wants to own her. Well, th- that's the thing, right? Cause JT is outwardly a piece of shit. Whereas Ricky hides it. And yeah, you, you are. Exactly. I'm glad that you said incel. Like he, it really is that incel culture, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, I'm doing this for you. I love you. Well, you should, you should like this. You should appreciate yeah. this. Oh, you should love all I'm doing for you. And if you don't, that's your problem. Yeah. And I think that, if it hadn't been done in that kind of typical twist ending, mm-hmm. uh, that's where I think it does kind of go, yeah, okay. Um, if it had been a little more gradual, they were already kind of showing it a bit when they are running away from, uh, so also at the end and then the big climax at the ending where they're trying to get out of the bunker with him and, and Joanne and you have the dead girl chasing after them and he's just like, He's not wrong to scream at her like, will you just fucking listen to me for like one second? You keep just doing the opposite of everything I say. Yeah. But there is that uh, when he keeps going, I'm like, I remember shouting at the screen like, but it's not about you, dude. How about you just try to fucking survive right now and then maybe yell at her when you survive of like, you made this hard on me. (laughs) I mean, she is sitting there bleeding out. And yeah. he, the, uh, he, yeah, he's trying to help her. But the first thing he can think of to do is tell her that he loves her. And yeah. I didn't catch this on my first video. I had subtitles on, luckily. So I was like, okay, cool. I got it. But she says, like, grow up. Grow up. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's the, mo- that, that's the that's the turning point for him. That's when he's like, all right, well, got to do what I got to do then. 
pretty much. He's never going to get her. She said no so many times. She's been clear throughout the whole film. And then we also find out they had not even a relationship, but they had like one of those like little... Uh, like childhood romances? Yeah, like, that's like, what I'm looking for. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's like, well, I'm sorry. We're not like 10 anymore. Yeah. I mean, and look, I, I don't think the Joanne character is fleshed out very well because she's also dating this also piece of shit person. Yeah. The film doesn't give her. I, I think, honestly, if there are, if there are, for the naysayers of this film, like, I feel like having that role be a bit more fleshed out and presented in a bit a different way because nothing she's saying is wrong but i can see that someone would watch this and be like "Ooh, like this film this film that is about misogyny um isn't actually treating this living female character like it's not handling her in the best way she's very much a tertiary character for sure and that's where again the time kind of shows itself Mm-hmm. Where you know, like I said, the muck of the two thousands to to an extent. That's how people wrote at the time. They were either way too aggressively snarky with their slur usage and stuff. This movie has quite a few of them as well. Yeah. Uh, and then on top of it, it's like you want to, you kind of. I I don't want to like make any statements about anybody who wrote it, but you do get this tone that almost feels a bit white nighty at at, at certain points of just like. Yeah, this is feminist because you should have treated her better and you should have like but wh- where is she as a person in your movie? Well, it's interesting though, right? Because like, I I I don't I don't see a world in which this could get made today. Um no. in this climate, uh probably not. And it, I do find it interesting that it's a man telling this story, both the writer and the director. True. But I think that, I mean, like, their intent was to shine a light on this, and I do think they accomplished it. It's just, it is not an easy watch. Like, this is not a film that I want to put on for shits and giggles, you know? No, no, it's it's definitely a movie you want to watch just to kind of be frustrated for a little bit and just, just like, the thing is, like, <laughs> I, I think that one of the backlashes the movie might have gotten when it came out is, for one, the world was not ready to have that conversation at the time. It was vehemently pushing against that conversation, as we saw with Jennifer's body. Yes. It was just like any attempt to have that conversation. And I will admit, I was one of those people who was just like, you know, I I was one of of those assholes. I was like, no, I don't really do politics, you know, Mm because I just wanted to I wanted to be a Ricky and just like stew in my own emotions (laughs) and, and make it all about me. Um, and it's funny, I, I do want to mention one thing. So, um, and, and, you know, I, I, nothing wrong here at all. Like you were saying like you're two cisgender men and like, I, as I've grown and, and learned a lot from, from people as well, like I've grown to more and more find that like, I would identify more as like gender queer, mm-hmm. uh, and just in from how I feel and how oh. I, I identify. And, uh, it's not something I, 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 I'm open, I'm open about it, but I don't like put it out there cause I'm still exploring what that means to me mm-hmm. and, uh, where that goes, but it's like for my whole life up until maybe the age of like 30, let's say I'm 34 now. It's so like maybe 32, 33 mm-hmm. is when I started to even consider it. Cause I had the, the vocab. Well, so, the, the, yeah, actually and apologies for assuming no, you were such no, no, by the way, but none needed. no, but I, I think, but that's why we have to have those conversations. Why having things like that be put in our entertainment, put in movies, TV, whatever. Like, I, I don't know. Like d- d- was there an inciting incident that do you remember that made you like, start having those conversations with yourself or it was just kind of a gradual thing where um, I don't know. It's a bit of both. I mean, I was bullied a lot Mm -hmm. when I was growing up because for one, I I was a product of divorce. Mm -hmm. So uh, my mom 
is very much a dad as well. You know, she'll she'll take care of anybody who gets in the way. She's a she's a mama bear who's mm-hmm. like, don't fuck with my kid. <laughs> so so you grew up with a mother who was, I guess, what occupying both gender roles uh, yeah. based on what society had like told you gender roles should be, and who was closeted and and didn't want to tell anybody. So right. She came out to me about six or seven years ago, and now she's married to a woman. Uh-huh. Um, and it's awesome. But it was a thing that we all kind of suspected and felt, but we didn't want to push it on her, except for a few people. Like, you know, I, I did have people who, like, you know, other family members from other sides of the family and stuff try to accuse my mom of, like, being gay or uh, you're raising this child uh, as a single mother in a gay household. She had a housemate who was a woman with her. Like, oh, they're in a lesbian relationship. And she just kept going, like, my kid's smart as hell and is getting by just fine. So what does it matter? Right. Fuck off. Yeah, and but you know how they say like, oh, but then your kid's gonna be gay, and they're like, so what if he is gay? By the yeah. way, you know, but it, it's not as if that's a nurture development that does anything. It just might support somebody who is queer, yeah, and be okay with it. Yeah, I, 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 causation does not equal correlation, or whatever. That correlation exactly. does not equal causation, like that thing. <laughs> yeah. And and for me, like I just fought it all of my life because you know I had every you know homophobic slur thrown at me as as possible but i was attracted to women so Mm -hmm. i was just like i think that you were wrong (laughs) but there was a part of me that's like but i do feel queer and i don't know why um that's where it starts it's so interesting too because i mean so you have a lot of queer people that i'll go to gay men specifically and they're like oh i've known i was gay since i was three years old and i i wasn't one of those people i okay so i always i loved hanging around girls i i preferred being around girls and so i was always like i love girls like i i am straight and i was also like i was an effeminate child i was made fun of i was called a fag more times than you can count whatever but I, I never for once thought that I was gay. And it wasn't until, because I, I was a late bloomer with puberty and I found out about sex, like, I, I say later in life. Like, I got the talk when I was 11 years old, which maybe that's early, maybe that's you got late. got the talk? <laughs> I did. <laughs> but, jealous. but it wasn't until, and this is going to sound so funny, until I started watching porn and, like, masturbating, that, because I, I always loved girls, but I never thought about them in a sexual way because I didn't know what sex was. And mm. maybe this is being reductive, limiting, like, you know, queerness to sexual attraction. But that this is just, you know, my how I came around. Like, this is my version of the story. And it wasn't until I started watching porn and, like, noticing, oh, shit, like, I am noticing that I'm more attracted my eyes are going to the men in, in, in these videos. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I was 14 or 15, I think, when I really admitted to myself and started having serious conversations and saying, like, oh, I am gay. And then I came out when I was 16. So it was fine. Wow. <laughs> That's it. You know, I, I see where you're coming from, too. And keep in mind, like, in, in your case, like, it is a sexuality that we're mm-hmm. discussing. And in my case, I, it's both a bit because I, I also have discovered that I'm. I'm definitely pansexual. Yeah. <laughs> but I, all of these things are not things that I really started to process or navigate until I was an adult of, of 30 plus years old. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason I didn't really get there was because of everybody pushing it on me when I was younger. Yep. So then me going, I, I am so rebellious. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you care about star signs. I personally usually don't. But just to, to, to say it to anybody who does care, I'm an Aries. Apparently, I live up to that a lot where I'm just like, fuck off and just push shit out of my way <laughs> you know, if I get a challenge. And so, yeah, I just became a rebellious little goth kid. But I was very queer, like I, yeah. or at least in a gender sense. Like I was effeminate. I, lo- I had this lithe body at the time. Um, I'm very tall. 
And so I'd like to, to like paint my nails and do the girls' haircuts and wear mm-hmm. all the, you know, the whatever. And people supported it because it looked good on me. <laughs> and then you know, my mom's like, whatever, he's a kid. It's just like, l- let him do whatever he wants to do. Well, I mean, and, and, I mean, not to speak for your motherhood, but maybe she saw like a freedom in you that you that you were like putting out there that she hadn't been able to. So she was like, fuck yeah, I want to support my child doing this. Very possible. I know that she was, when I finally came out to her, she's like, I just like to see it as like uh we're just unique people, right? We are who we are, and uh, she she calls it being a chameleon. When I tell it, when I like to say that I'm I'm, I'm gender queer, she's like, oh, just, you're a chameleon. You you walk in different uh, those different cultures, and you feel uh, you know essentially yeah a certain way amongst them. Because like you, if you want to talk about the sexuality part of it, you know I I definitely noticed it on the gender queer aspect of it because although I was attracted to the women, there was also a part of me that started to like really enjoy their enjoyment to a degree of I wanted to be that, Mm -hmm. you know, and all of it just experience physically look in the mirror, see that. Yeah. And I always thought that it was just a normal thing to kind of be curious about other people's shoes basically. (laughs) So the reason why I broached this topic in the first place, by the way, which is I love having this conversation with you. I don't get to talk about it so openly with a lot of people. No, I, I I, I love candid talks about sexuality. Like it's just, it's very refreshing to have these kind of conversations. It truly is. And I thank you for giving me uh, a space on my own podcast to do so. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it's like I bring it up because I watched this movie through both lenses. Mm-hmm. It, you know, the person that I am now and who I understand better now and, and you know, knowing my dysphoria, knowing more about, you know, just – queer culture but also discourse around it i wasn't too involved then but i'm learning more now and so i could see it through that lens i could see it for more from the feminist lens but i could also still see who i was in 2008 who mm-hmm. was in like at least externally was a performatively a cis head man white man mm-hmm. who was a bit of an incel I was definitely somewhere emotionally in that space, but that's because I hated everyone. Yeah. I was just so put upon by everybody to be a certain way or to feel a certain way. And when you start to fall into like depressions and stuff, people were just like, well, let me find every way in the world to tell you that you are just wrong at doing it. And that's your problem. And it just eventually made me go, I hate everything and everyone so much (laughs) that I, uh, started to really just think like, well, you know, nobody loves me because I'm just an abject piece of shit, you know, stuff like that. So you just kind of act that way sometimes. And you start to become callous and not care. So I was a bit of a Ricky through a lot of my time of just like, whatevs. And if it was too much, I'd be like, that's not really cool. But it took a lot for me to suddenly treat people like they were people because in my eyes, people were the problem. And um, I've through, but also, you know, because I was repressing so much, I think that's where that came from because it's funny, the more I have learned to accept parts of myself that have run away from or were used as weapons against me mm-hmm. is the more I've started to accept others for who they are and try to read more about their situations as people and do the thing that I thought I was doing before, which is like put myself in your shoes. But yes. it takes more work than just thinking it, that you're doing it. It does. And it applies to relationships, too. Like, I mean, like, it's it's a thing where it's like... I used to care so much about other people's lives and what they were doing, be it like whatever. And it's honestly, I reached a point probably in my late twenties, maybe even my early thirties. I'm 30, 
I'm, I'm about to be 33, so maybe when I turn 30, okay. I don't know. Where I stopped caring, and it's like, what? why do I care what anyone is doing with their lives? And what yeah. say do I have with what anyone is doing with their lives? Um, and I think once I took that step back, I found myself to be a lot happier because my brain was less busy thinking about other people. Exactly. And I get being more empathetic i get supporting people and i try mm -hmm. i do this with my work i try really hard to be more aware and navigate in spaces in a way that i'm not adding to the problem basically as much as i can yeah but it also doesn't mean that that's on my mind every second of the day the way i used to obsess about what people were thinking and how they were and why would they do that and this is stupid and this is their taste and <laughs> It's so exhausting to give a shit about like what shoes people like to wear, you know? Yes. I mean, the, even look, you're on horror Twitter too. Like people will, <laughs> if you, if you tell someone that you don't like a movie that they love, it's like you've murdered their mother, right? Like it, and I'm guilty of it too. Like I am 100%. If you tell me you don't like X movie, sometimes I'll take it as a personal affront because I'm like, I am so connected to that movie on like a yeah. personal level that insulting that movie feels like you're insulting me. And that really isn't fair <laughs> to anybody. So I, I, I have tried to get really good about not being that asshole. I also get the impulse. I mean, I have it myself. This also, by the way, could be an ADHD thing because that's definitely like a spike in like, how fucking dare you? Uh, <laughs> uh, and you just don't control it. You just say it. You know? Yeah, exactly. Because uh, he's like, everything is personally, I hear my neighbor walk around upstairs and I'm like, you're doing it to make me upset. Uh, and it, it, so, but so I get the impulse and I have to calm myself down and I've had to teach myself like when I get outraged about things most of the time now, it's really like, no, you, you were telling me that you're saying that it's about the stupid media thing, but your words are telling me that you're looking down on me. Yeah. And that's yeah. a problem as well. And sometimes it's about taking that breath, right? Like, I, I, I am definitely quick. I'm not an angry person. But when I do get angry, I'm very quick to get angry. And I'm very quick mm -hmm. to respond. And sometimes it's about taking that breath or that night's sleep to think, to sit on it and let it yes. sit with you. And then be like, am I really angry enough to where I need to address this, you know? Or you obsess about it until you're exhausted and choose the most simple solution and then at least it's done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cross it off the list. I'm good. Yes. I've had a, quite a few emails like that. I'm just like, I, I, I'm not going to make the perfect email. This is just like, sure, whatever. And yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to calm yourself down and get into better headspace. And um, where we're so to, to apply that a little bit, actually. Yeah. Um, that is exactly the flaws in these characters because they are caricatures of a particular ideology and mindset. Yes. Show okay, how good. Like, these, these guys don't take any steps to self-reflect at any stage in the story. And I don't expect a teenager to necessarily do that very well, but I do expect a human being to just for a second go, I don't know. And then, then have the impulsive response. But like with JT, he's just like, boobs i'm gonna fuck it no uh, yeah like one of his first lines like he's like he's like i could spend all day oh no, i'm sorry that's ricky um he goes i could spend all day looking at that body jesus christ and jt just goes yeah she's beautiful and it's like and then they start feeling her up and it's like the first your first impulse upon finding this this girl who is tied up with a sh plastic sheet over her is not to call the police I, the whole movie i was screaming call the police <laughs> end it now call the police yeah like, call his mom. I don't know. Like, there are so many people that could have gotten involved. If you if you don't trust the police, 
send your stepdad. I don't know. Like, but, 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 but you're right, though. You describing them as caricatures of a particular mindset is the perfect way to describe them. And how it's almost allegorical in a way where it's like you have to yeah. watch a mo- this movie through that lens. Otherwise, you will be constantly just questioning their decisions and like comparing it to reality. And this movie will not work for you. And therefore, that's why I think it has the reputation it has, because you have the two camps. You have the one that is half agreeing with them, or or not even agreeing, but it's like, for instance, like I said, I can sit there and I can go, you know, there was a time, I wouldn't have done any of these things, but there was a time that I probably would have laughed at this movie and not seen it as a big deal, but just Mm -hmm. kind of stupid. Yeah. um, Because you could just turn off your empathy. Yeah. Uh, and that was the time when I was really stuck in that very kind of incelly behavior myself. Mm-hmm. And then now, since people have done a wonderful job in the world of educating me and being very patient with me in, in recent times, I was watching it from a, a, a whole other lens where I was like, I could be outraged at the mere fact that this shit is on a movie. Yeah. Uh, but I, I wasn't because it wasn't condoning any of it. It was just shocking the shit out of you because people who would even drift into behaving like this, these bullies at school, these guys who want to have their checklist of women that they banged and stuff, high-fiving, all that stuff. They would just sit there and and be okay with it until it gets too much. And then they go like, okay, I'm not that bad. Maybe I should think about something. It gets you thinking for a moment. Well, that's the thing too, right? With any movie about sexual assault, and especially one that is, I'm sorry, any movie that features sexual assault, but any movie that is primarily about sexual assault, especially in the horror world, because it tends to be more um, gratuitous or exploitative Mm -hmm. um, than you would find in, let's say, a prestige drama about sexual assault. The question that's always going to come at you is, if you're the creator, is like, why? Why are you including this? Is it necessary? Why do you want to tell this story? And for me personally, the reason is very clear. Like, it is shining a light on on this shit and saying this is bad. But you have to watch it. I feel like it's easy to pick up, but if you don't know that going into it, I can see someone watching this and being like, what is the point of this? This is just watching these two men destroy this woman. And it being an hour and 40 minutes doesn't do any favors in that regard, because it's like, you got to get through about 50 of those minutes before you start going, oh, yeah, you know what? Maybe you should let those jocks inside. And then you start seeing kind of what they're doing. It's like, they're putting this girl in juxtaposition with so many different forms of toxic masculinity and she wins against every single one of them. I, I mean, the second those jocks don't immediately say, fuck no, and they have, they have to actually consider it. <laughs> what? Yeah. How easy it was for him to be like, yeah, she's got a mouth. I mean, I I, I think the biggest, the biggest moment of many in this film of like, what the fuck are they thinking? Is the moment when they're like, oh, her pussy is bone dry. We got to get some lube. And then they decide to use the pussy gunshot wounds, each claiming a hole to their own. Like, I... <laughs> How desperate do you have to be? Get a flashlight, dude. I I know that maybe those didn't exist back then, but oh my god. <laughs> you know what did though? Lotion. <laughs> the dude brought pizzas and shit. It's like you went to a corner store. You could have just, for one, not done any of this and just used some lotion. But for another, like the uh, the the lengths to which this guy was just like, I will not be a virgin. It was so fuck. I, that was a moment that I, I didn't pause it. I wanted to, but I just had to like keep the movie going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I turned to my partner. I was like, you know what Garrett really gets me in this movie? She's like, well, I was like, it's not 
you know, actors, they'll, they'll perform what they're told to. They might question things along the way, but at the end of the day, you're paid to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as you ideologically aren't against what you're doing. Right. Uh, directors get the point. They make the movie. They're making a thing. But there was someone who had to sit down and go, hmm, and write down, well, we can each have our whole plus <laughs> comes out of the hole. Like they had to like think up the scenario from scratch. And I'm just like, uh, what, where, how? How did how right. that night for you when you wrote down the pus hole scene? And that's where, again, take out the fact that this is a movie about rape. Like, just horror in general. This is when you're going to have your your casual viewers be like, who thinks of this shit, right? Like, who, what kind of sick, twisted mind can come up with this concept and this particular scene in their head? And why, in God's name, would they put it on paper and much less on film? And I love that. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That's why I love the movie. I I actually think that's a very bold thing to do, especially if you're trying to make a point like this. It's Also, they did it at a moment that I thought was an interesting thing. The moment I had said there was like a halfway point to the film and JT was doing some of his like, you know, he's trying to be uh, Matthew McConaughey and True Detective a little bit and act all philosophical. Right. And he was like this. He becomes this creepy villain, real powerful villain. I'm like, okay, I get this, though. 2000s. Our villains are larger than life fairy tale creatures. <laughs> and this movie just decided, I'm going to give you a little preamble at the beginning to get us there, to show us, like, we're going to have two minutes of a normal kid. And then this shit happens. But like, whatever, magical realism, whatever you want to call it, happened. I was liking him as a villain. I liked the performance. I liked how reprehensible he was. But at the same time, some of the shit he was saying made kind of sense as, <laughs> as like a bullied kid. Yeah, you know I mean, as a poor kid, I got him. As a bullied kid, I got him. And then he talked about fucking the hole with the pus in it and stuff. I'm like, JT, man, every single well, time you look like you're kind of interesting, you do something that I'm like, yeah. Because they, they, they try to give him it, – it's a really one-note backstory where it's like, oh, he lives with his grandma who is nearly dead. So like, he doesn't really have a guardian. He probably is very poor. Um, and even with Ricky too, I mean, I, I, there's a lot of, not a lot, but there's quite a bit of homophobia on display in this movie because they like to call each other like faggot a lot. Um, and it's, it's, it's in a way where it's like, there were so many times where yeah, I could relate to Ricky in this movie. I couldn't really relate to JT that much, but, but, but I, I could understand that's JT. Understanding JT. I don't yes. I relate to JT. <laughs> but, but no, but there were times when I could relate. I, 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 a, I, I want to say, I, I actually applaud you for being able to admit that at one point you had like incelly behaviors. I think like that takes like a lot, like not to like praise you for it, but like, thank you for saying that. But oh, like fuck me, I was an asshole, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a thing where it's like, yeah, I mean like I feel like some of the drive for these guys to fuck these girls too is yeah, is to prove that they are not faggots. Like, right. Like that, yeah. cause that could be the worst thing in the world. Like you have to fuck a pussy if you want to be taken seriously in the, in this male dominated society. That that is the attitude. That's the the attitude. Like in all of my very straight environment as well was kind of you know set around me and pushed around me. And I was like, Haha, yeah, well, I don't know why you're talking about women that way, but okay. So like inside, I was always uncomfortable with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But then you know, if it's the only language that you know, and you're you're convincing yourself that you're straight, for instance, uh, and that you are cis, not even knowing what cis means, right? It's just like, well. 
I may not agree with your actions, but I kind of understand where your attitude's coming from. When really, you're actually missing something else entirely that is being repressed and, and pushed away from you. And it's not, because again, so much homophobia doesn't even come from the fact, oh, you might like men. It is showing any kind of sensitivity, um, any kind of compassion, especially towards another man. Like, again, we have it in this movie where JT is like, oh, you want to go take her on a date? Um, do something, like, really special for her? Um, or you want to fuck this hole? So... Yeah. It, it, so many times like homophobia isn't even about being gay or not. It's just about showing vulnerability as a man. Yes. Which is the thing I ran from the most and I'm happy to do again. Like if I, I wouldn't cry in front of my partner mm-hmm. while we were married. I do now. Yeah. Uh, and I, I cry harder because I'm like, don't look at me. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's very rewarding and relieving, and, and she's always just like, the fact that you'll show me that is just fucking awesome. And I'm like, stop, <laughs> because you're making me do it, you know? But yeah. I will say, like, and you know what? I, what I really found interesting in this movie, and I love when a story does this. I know this is very just like 101 kind of shit, uh-huh. but, you know, when a character like JT gets a comeuppance, and the comeuppance makes them show their true colors, and then you have JT who's looking at Ricky like, I thought it was us, man. You and me, all the way yeah. to the end. I'm like, oh, if you had gone one step closer and said "I love you," this movie would have exploded. I mean, that's and like, like, look, because I, I, this is a movie that I, I want to cover on horror queers because I think there's a lot. There is 100 percent a queer reading you can get from this film, but um, but yeah, um, it's it is there. Like you almost, it's like this unrequited love. Like I mean, replace Joanne with JT. Ah, oh. ah, oh. that's yeah. I see it. Mm-hmm. That, and that's where it's interesting. Like, again, I not to just throw shade to the entire decade, but it is just like an aesthetic that kind of permeated at the time. Everything looked a lot like Saw. Everything yeah. looked a lot like Hostel. And also tried to outdo those movies, even though uh, you shouldn't be touching what you're not doing, yeah. essentially. And I just think it got caught up in that mess. And so it is a more aggressive title than even the knots were used to being yeah, you know, I, showing. It, it was interesting because I actually – I recalled this movie having a very positive reception when it came out. Like, yes, of course, there are people that were like, no, that's misogynistic. But like, I recalled it having a positive reception. So shocking to behold that when I went to go look at the reviews for this film, they were primarily negative. Like this was a festival. They did the festival circuit that came out with little to no fanfare. And honestly, I think the only reason I saw it, I probably saw it covered on Bloody Disgusting, but um, I was also working at a blockbuster at the time, like 2009, 2010. And it was probably one of those ones where it was like, we got one copy of it. And I was like, ooh, this is that one that I've heard is really salacious. Um, Probably not a good thing to say about a rape movie. But... (laughs) But that's why I wanted to watch it. Um, and it's a, a clearly a very low-budget effort. And mm-hmm. But there are moments. like It's not like a super gory movie, but the gore that we do show, I think it's shot really well. And I think the makeup effects look fantastic. But, I mean, again, you will walk out of this movie feeling disgusting. Like, this is, this is not a movie that you will feel clean after you watch. No, it's a dirty, grimy movie. And not just the visuals. It's just this whole, like, if you really aren't able to stomach some of these ideologies you're just going to need a shower and if you've ever been around it and kind of condoned it quietly right the shame makes you want to just get like an enema of pain basically <gasps> oh I, d- I do i mean so i don't like like that you know but i like that <laughs> that reading of this <laughs> uh but you see what i get at that it's like it's this, yeah um it's it does make you reflect and 
it, it's basically a movie is like, is this you? Well, and, and that's the thing, right? Like, who is this movie for? And I do think this movie is made for a male viewing audience. Like, I don't think this movie is made for women. No. Uh, in fact, you know, I mean, this this whole episode is going to be covered in trigger warnings. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and not to say that a woman cannot find enjoyment out of it, but I think the message of the movie is directed towards men. That, that's my Yeah, exactly. I think that that's why for a lot of people it could, like, I can f- see why this movie could be even more triggering than some movies that are very realistic in their depictions. Yeah. Just for the mere fact that this is... The, it's funny, actually. Um, there's a moment in the movie where Ricky uses the Arsler. Mm-hmm. And after that, I, th- that was the part where I was like, okay, now the writer had too much fun using it. Right. <laughs> but it was the only time in the first time that it was used. And in the moment that it was used, it was some random kid coming up to him in the locker room being like, hey, uh, have you seen Wheeler? And he's like, no. And we already know now that Wheeler is kind of like treating this as like a, a ring for uh, picked on kids to at least get laid. And the kid's just like, well, he told me that if I gave him 10 bucks, he'd show me something. And then he used the Arsler on. I was like, get, get out of here, you know? And yeah. normally I would like cringe at that. But I was like, you know what? What he's doing is he's using the language that the other person would understand to un- to really understand how much they need to fuck off right now. Well, th- that and not to defend its use, but like that language was so common at this time. Like t- The 2000s. I mean, I, I was a teen at the aughts, so like I, I lived through it. But it was a lot of the horror we were getting was very mean spirited, and a lot of uh-huh. like, uh, I mean, we're like post nine eleven here. We're a very fraught nation, and I, I know it's like maybe cliche to be like to bring up nine eleven, but we were a. a at least the U.S., we were a nation of, like, in political turmoil. I mean, I think we actually have been ever since 9-11, to be honest. But It hasn't healed yet, no. Yeah, but, like, it, it is very like, – it was just mean. And so you were you have, like, the F-bombs, the R-bombs. And granted, while, of course, like, we know now it's not okay to say the R-word, um, that wasn't something that was commonly thought back then. Like, it took 10 years for that to happen. Of course, yeah, and I, I'm guilty as well. At the time, I was also a teenager. Mm-hmm. Or 2008, no, I was I was drifting into my 20s. But even still, like throughout that time too, piece of shit, I was an asshole, yeah, uh, dumbass white guy. Well, so, uh, it's also it's also like I mean, honestly, like I I would curse more because I was like, oh, I'll look cool if I curse more. Yeah. If I if I say these slurs, like I'm going to look cool in front of my Texas friends. Like it's mm. it's all about like feeling cool, and unfortunately, like that's just a child and teenage mindset right because as you get older you're like why the fuck did i care yeah you know how to make it count or i guess you end up like i, I like i guess like us I, I use it just as normal fucking language now these days <laughs> and, like, I, it's funny like at work when i'm training people and stuff like it just comes out i don't really care i, I check with them like once and like you're cool with this <laughs> then we're gonna keep going i uh, mean yeah. look I, I i opened this episode talking about coming so like i get it <laughs> And yes, I totally have a filthy fucking mouth, but like it's so much of like of of horror back then was revolving around this kind of language, you know, it was shock cinema essentially mm-hmm. is what it was. You know, it was the Marilyn Manson of movies. Yeah. And and you find that even that, like, I used to adore the shit out of Marilyn Manson because he was, like, a voice for the, the picked on kids and shit. And now look at him. Like, like oh, yeah, you know, everybody told me back then I should have listened. Uh, and that's kind of how it is with a lot of these things. Like, culturally speaking, I can't blame them for that. I'm just talking about my response, though. Like, now I do tend to, like, recoil to the word. Yeah. And I did even then, even though I, I did use a language like that, um, I still had this whole like mm, I don't like doing that, but it was weird to me. Normally, I would feel like this whole like ugh, 
well, now it says a lot about Ricky, doesn't it? Whereas, like, <laughs> honestly, I really saw at that just that one moment, that one usage of it, somebody who was – because I do this in daily life. Like, not not do you slurs and stuff anymore. I make this perfectly clear. I don't do that anymore. But you can definitely use language against people who try to hurt others with their language against them. It's like, uh, for instance, if you want to combat, like, white supremacy as a white person, mm -hmm. a really good way, instead of saying, like, this is wrong, you should learn better – why are you doing that? You're just telling people, I'm doing better than you, and now I'm going to gloat. Yeah. When it's like, no, you're not, because you're a fucking white person who still needs to learn shit. It's a constant process, and it's fucking difficult, and stop, you know, tapping yourself on the back. However, I do call them losers, because they're not doing anything but trying to hurt people all the time. I'm like, that's fucking stupid. Yeah. You're just, wow, did you get your attention today? You know, stuff like that. Because that's exactly how they talk to me. The thing with... It's... Look, I firmly believe that people are afraid of being wrong. Even more okay. so publicly being wrong. <laughs> and that that makes some people, a lot of people, really defensive. And they will... That's why we see people doubling down, right? And that's why I think, honestly, whenever we have, like, like, like the scandal of the week on Twitter, I'm like, that is... It's not... Twitter is not a conducive platform to have nuanced discussions. I'm sorry. Because the fact of the matter is that a lot of these... I mean, yes, obviously, racism is wrong. Uh, uh, misogyny is wrong. But there are certain things where it's like there's a little bit more nuance to it. And unfortunately, you cannot have a nuanced conversation on Twitter. It is impossible. Mm -hmm. And... You don't need to approach someone, yeah, with this condemnation. Well, <laughs> this sounds like a blanket statement because, again, obviously, like if someone's out there like dropping M bombs on Twitter, it's like, well, no, you probably should tell that person they are wrong. <laughs> well, but you're not going to teach them anything, but you can tell them to get fucked, basically. Yes, but if you are truly, if you are truly wanting to teach someone something and educate someone. You can't come at it with what you're doing is wrong, right? It has to be a different approach. At least that's how I view it too. Because I mean, look, I'm a person. Like, I I have totally like quick tweeted something because I'm like, oh, some, and then someone will say, oh, that this ain't it. This is wrong. Blah blah blah. And I get really defensive. But if I just took that breath to be like, wait, is this person? Does this person mean well? Are they doing the right thing? Or are they are they are they out to get me? Like, what is their aim in this? Um, yes, it's just about finding the right approach. I think. I agree. I, I think that you know, for instance, this film. Do I find it the right approach? Uh, for 2008, maybe. That's probably why I pissed a lot of people off. I mean, it, it, it is an approach. <laughs> it is definitely an approach. But just it, the way it held up this mirror, and it was just like, I'm not going to let you hide from it. This is the way you behave. Well, and that's the other thing, too, right? Because we've talked about how the, this is a heightened situation. No one in their right mind would really do this. But at the same time... Are we sure of that? Would they not? Exactly. Like, uh, here's the thing. I, I do believe that the a majority of the population would not do what these boys did. But do I believe that there are some people out there that would be this sick? Absolutely. It just happens to be that this movie is about two of those people. Would your favorite celebrity do this? Probably. <laughs> That's what I've learned the last like two or three weeks on Twitter. It's just like anything that you think that people that you look up to are incapable of, they're very capable of doing it. The difference is you don't know them. You know, it's <laughs> when it comes to that kind of stuff, because, yeah, you're right. I, I have 100 percent just accepted that any celebrity I like will have at least one problematic aspect that they've done, said, whatever. And I have a friend who's like, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. I, I don't want to tweet something and have someone be like, well, you know, the cinematographer's cousin's wife actually like like uh, had slaves in the 1800s or something. And it's like it. It is exhausting to keep up with that. And sorry, that's a bad example, but like, <laughs> you know, oh, this person did this. Um, it's exhausting, and I 
I get why. I mean, you know, we should address these things. We should talk about these things. But it's also a thing where I'm like, I just sometimes ignorance is bliss. <laughs> that is true. That is true. I, I guess the 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 just to you know touch upon that discourse real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, and this is something that's also been you know 34 years of uh, of life. <laughs> And living, let me tell you something. Uh, no, but it's just like, you know, after years and years and years of my own fights about this sort of stuff, too, and going from, eh, you know, trying to, like, just navigate my life and then realizing that I'm actually kind of allowing a lot of problematic shit around me. Right. Which is also hurting me, of course, uh, in, in that in that toxicity, toxic space. Then you, if you start to build more empathy, you start to feel hurt and ashamed and you don't want to feel it anymore. And then you start to just lash out and attack and then you're still doing it, but you're doing it in the opposite direction because you're still not actually helping anybody with anything. And in order to help, in order to really participate, in order to like have these discussions is you also have to check like, what is the actual point that is being made by the people who are being affected by this? Oftentimes when we're talking about celebrities and their issues, sure, there are these knee jerk responses and some people who really do just love to like pop out of the shadows and be like, but did you know back in 1995 they said once in one interview? I'm like, okay, well, once in one interview is different than Cosby having an entire sex ring and abusing people for his entire career. Kind right. Of uh, it, so when we talk about like supporting people and their bad behavior and what they're doing, it's either like we're responding in the now because somebody's disappointing us, <laughs> Sherry Moon, uh, or um, we are talking about, you know, you're combating something with your wallet because they are a product. They are still selling something. And because Twitter has different, you basically, you have everybody having different conversations and thinking they're having the same conversation a lot of the time. So some people are really just like, I'm not going to spend money on this. And I just want to remind everybody, if you feel this way, join me in that. But it is also a little bit of a you do you situation of you can't really control what people do and what they think and what they feel. Um, and it, it, I, I commend anybody who's trying to like teach right and wrong and who gets really you know bogged down by that stuff because it is really heavy. And if you if, if you felt this a lot in your life, I understand where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if you, indeed you are just trying to walk around being like, <laughs> so who doesn't know who's problematic today? <laughs> yeah. You're just pissing in the cereal. And it's like, are, are you doing anything good or are you just stuck? on having knowledge that other people don't have. Very, very much so. And that's a really good way to frame that. Yeah, you, you, th- That's a better way of putting it than how I did. Because <laughs> I probably oh, seemed no, a little bit no. flippant and careless in my description. <laughs> no, because I can, I entirely understand where you're coming from. And I I've, I do it too. But I do it. I'm just kind of explaining to people like this is kind of why sometimes you can see people be quiet about things. Even though it, it it's tough, right? You sometimes get put in positions where you're like, I really want to speak out on this. Mm-hmm. And then if you do, it really, you know, it's because you, you really feel confident enough that you can have that conversation. And if you don't, it's either because you don't feel equipped enough to do it, or you can't really gauge where this conversation was started in the first place. And you kind of don't want to touch that if it is the wrong way. You know, I, I, and last year, I had a tweet because I, I used to be a bit more vocal about issues with a capital I, if you will. <laughs> I had a tweet that uh, that did not get a warm reception, and it was um, 
of course, it's like, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's like, what does Twitter matter? Like, Twitter's such a tiny percent of the population. But, like, it really fucked with my head emotionally. And, like, I felt shitty for, for a while. And after that moment, I, I decided to only use my Twitter for joy. So, like, I tweet out things that I like, that, that I enjoy doing, that I love doing. I, I try, I really try to avoid commenting on politics issues, whatever. And some may view that as cowardly. Some may say, well, Trace, you have a platform. Uh, you have this successful podcast not to toot my own horn but like you have a successful podcast you have a, you're a voice in the queer community you should vocal be vocal about these things and you know what maybe they're right but also to an extent i'm like but i prioritize my mental health over that i'm sorry um and i would rather i would rather use my twitter for just things that make me happy so i can be on good terms mentally <laughs> also i will say that now, there, there is a toxic version of that, and I have seen that, too, where people are just like, whoa, you don't like this thing? I thought we were all just supposed to love horror. And right. Like, I'm like, oh, excuse the fuck out of me for having t- my own taste. Yeah, yeah. Or or seeing a problem in it and just not agreeing with you that that's okay. Mm-hmm. That Again, you do you, you know? Yeah. But that that's the more toxic side of it. But the other side, where you're coming from, from mental health, I've been there, and I, I am there sometimes. There are some days where I'm just kind of like, I'm going to do my, do, today is for me. You know, yeah. Uh, and what is important to realize, though, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not involved. Because if you're mm-hmm. supporting the things that you love and you're supporting things that make you happy, that means you're also supporting the things that matter to you, which then supports other people. So through a positive action, you you can contrib- you can contribute that way, right? <laughs> Yes. Well, the, the conversations the, we have and that you have on horror queers. But that's the thing too, right? Though, like, I mean, like, a, I, I'm I'm fairly myself on Twitter, but at the end of the day, like, you don't you don't know anyone really uh, if you only know them through Twitter. And but it's it's same with the podcast too, right? Because like with you and your listeners, the relationship you have with your listeners is for better or worse, one-sided. Because depending on how much of your personal information you put onto your podcast, like there might be listeners that really, really, really think they know you, and that may be true to an extent but it's also like i'm not saying that i put out an act on the podcast but i don't bear everything um shockingly enough on the podcast <laughs> but, but but sometimes it can get weird right because you'll have people that are like they, they, they'll reach out and like as if they think they know you like the real you and it's but then it's it feels very uneven of a uh of a relationship because like you don't know anything about your listeners right so it, it, it yeah it's, it's that balance finding that balance for yourself and of course, it also depends on like from that perspective too. When it comes to listeners, is like if you don't push upon them who they have to be, then why don't they give you the respect to not push upon you who you have to be? Now, granted, if you, if it was really like you were tooting up some uh, white supremacist, right? <laughs> I'm not going to hesitate to call somebody like that out, but that's for sure. Uh, but at the same time, it's like if somebody slips up or something, I might very calmly be like, "Did you mean this?" Or, you know, maybe give a perspective. And if they're like, no, I totally agree with that. I'm like, well, then you didn't mean the thing that I thought you said. It's language. And, and, that, and that is right. I know this isn't right for everybody, but that is why intent really goes a long way with me. If someone does something or says something that's really bad, but like I, I know that they meant to do well and they were maybe just confused or whatever, that goes a long way with me. And I know that is not the case for everybody because at the end of the day, intent doesn't matter. It is what the effect of your words or your actions do. And I do. Yeah. I, I get it. Um but that's and to bring it back to this film, you know, like if you can watch this film and you're like, why the fuck would someone do this? Is the intent behind it meaning to shine a light on toxic masculinity to show men that, hey, this is this behavior like this is extreme. But like there are smaller versions of this that you might be like be privy to that you are part of. 
look at yourself, like hold the mirror up and look at it. That to me makes all of the the horrible aspects of this film worth enduring. Right there with you. Yes. Um, intent is so important behind things. And I think there's also a, a swathe of people who have been taught poorly because I was taught poorly as well in, in academia this way. Uh, you have to kind of unlearn it and learn it <laughs> yourself or by reading again for yourself. But like intentionality and stuff like that are told to like, well, it's not about intent and intent doesn't really matter. Uh, it, it's more about, you know, I can't even get into the vagueness of intentionality and stuff. But like yeah. it, it, it has blurred a little bit in some of these fields of discourse where people are applying like academic tone and, and, and phrasing or journalistic phrasing into things that have stakes in the real world. Mm-hmm. And their emo- therefore emotions get high, and I don't blame people who who do have their emotions get high on Twitter. I mean that's what it's there for. It's yeah, it's kind of like blurt out your thoughts and feelings. It's a shame because obviously then fights are going to happen, and I hate to see it. And uh, you know, mental health. I like that you brought that up because that's you know a lot of those people who are also just having these knee jerk responses. They're also coming from a mental health situation. They're, they're usually being triggered or just something is going on mental health wise that we can't account for. But that being said, like that does that also applies to films like this and and characters in films like this as well and 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 the writing of it. I think that you can kind of feel when a movie has ill will right. behind it. And this movie, this movie was grinning at me the whole way through. <laughs> well, and, <laughs> and it's funny because I, because again, like I, I say, and you know, intent intent matters a lot to me. But I also say multiple times on horror queers, like, but intent doesn't matter when you're doing a reading of a film because again, art is subjective. As soon as the art leaves the creator, it is up to the viewer or the consumer to to make up what like what their reading of the film is. So I realize that it's like a I'm kicking myself in the foot here, <laughs> but it's a thing where it's like, but it, it, if if. <sighs> If they're dealing with something, a very sensitive issue, and I can, because here's the thing, they can say their intent was one thing, but the other part of the factor is, is the art that that they're working on, does it convey that intent? There it is. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I think this movie does. But again, you're going to have people that disagree with that. So it's a minefield. Because, you know, then you do get in, and that's a, that's more of a sociological standpoint as well. By the way, sometimes people are doing uh, sociology, whereas other people are doing more of like a, a cultural theory kind of reading on things, which does require you to look at it for what is it speaking to you? I You know, I come from philosophy. Like, how does it make you feel? What is it conveying through the emotions and through the disgust? Mm-hmm. And, and we've gotten, look at the tangents that we've kind of gone on. Um, they're all related. And it's all because like we're processing a lot of different things because this movie has made us feel so many different things. I, like, when you're disgusted and you're mm-hmm. shaken by by this, you do you're probably even more vulnerable than when you're having a, a response to something beautiful. You're really like because you're pushing against it, right? Yes. You're really like oh no, oh no, oh no. <laughs> and if you have the ability to just stand and let it let it splash on you, basically. And soak it in, then you can get to that next step of let's read the film as a film. And it's a lot. <laughs> well, like, okay, why do you why do you think we, and I'll use like like the you and me we, not the general yeah, we. Yeah, yeah, why do we like being disgusted? Because obviously we like beauty, right? Like, like you have you've done a whole segment on beauty of horror. You've seen some beautifully <laughs> grotesque things. Why why are we okay with disgust? Why do we like to be disgusted? I think it's similar to why we like horror in the first place. Mm-hmm. And for me, I 
I don't like people to issue challenges necessarily mm-hmm. because I sometimes find them unfair. <laughs> but uh, well, just sometimes they're just mean spirited and they're not a real challenge. Yeah, it's just, for sure. It's a gauntlet, you know. But I do like it in my media to an extent that if you're not going to challenge me, say, on an ideological level, or if you do want to challenge me on an ideological level and you think I'm not ready for it, you need to challenge me emotionally as well. And I think disgust is probably one of the most innocent repulsions you can have. We can go, oh, the pus hole, yeah, and share that without any real offense to it other than why the fuck did you do this mm-hmm. <laughs> but we went through it it happened outside of that is where we get into these other challenges that do take more of a subjective turn um, and even discuss can be subjective i know plenty of people who are just like i don't know i'm just gonna eat popcorn and it's fine oh for um, for sure <laughs> look look my my mother took us on a family trip to go see the passion of the christ in what 2004 I would have been 15. My sister would have been 13. And, of course, that was an R-rated movie that was okay to go see because it was Jesus. But during, like, when they are pounding his hands and the na- with the nails into the crucifix, I pull out my snow caps and start eating them. And <laughs> my mom, my mother, is so... <laughs> <laughs> she's like they are crucifying and torturing jesus and you can eat food and i'm like yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a movie mom well and that's the thing right because and i'm not saying i want to go out there and watch snuff films I, I don't i don't i have no desire to watch snuff films and i think uh whenever those like abu Ghraib like torture videos release like i mean that's what led to torture porn by the way but it's I don't know. It's it's like there's a safety net, a condom, if you will, over <laughs> fictionalized portrayals of violence where it's like you're you're seeing something, but you know it's fake. Like this isn't real. And but you also get a bit of a high watching it. And I feel like we as horror fans, we always talk about, you know, oh, we're desensitized, so we're looking for the next we're looking for the next high. The high in this case being the next like really cool kill we've never seen before, or the next use of gore that we've never seen before. And that certainly applies to films like Dead Girl. Yes. Maybe, you know, I guess a good way then if I, uh, to succinctly put that, if, to, you know, from my perspective is uh, innovation is a thing that I appreciate, mm-hmm. especially in film. And so I'd like to see an innovative story. I like to say, see innovation in graphics and effects. And, yeah, you know, for those who, you know, if you're out there and you're listening, you're like, yeah, I'm a big 80s horror person. Like, yeah, you love those practical effects, right? Like, yeah. they're so innovative of how you can do. More and more and more and more and more. And trust me, a lot of those movies are going to be on this podcast for disgust, I tell you. (laughs) Uh, But there's also innovation in how do you tell this story? How do you bring in this thing? And sometimes you miss. I think Dead Girl is like, it's a shot that it it doesn't quite hit everybody. But when it hits... Mm -hmm. Just like I'd say Jennifer's Body was one of those movies when it came out. It's 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 a better film. So it now after, you know, 10 plus years, yeah. people started to read it the way we would read a modern movie. Dead Girl is still very much in that little ilk of uh, there are a few things that you have to turn off of, of like just not liking it, maybe. Yeah. But once you get there and you see what the point of the story is and stuff, it's like, you know what? I commend you on so just wildly and aggressively swinging a bat around and trying to hit all of these uh incelly dudes in the face yeah and just say like have you wake have you woken the fuck up yet do you not know that this is how you are you trust me 
If it's a <laughs> hole and it's got lubrication, you know what you do. Did you put a British accent inflection on that? I didn't mean to if I did. No, but maybe. <laughs> That's fantastic. Thank you, my lord. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I don't even have anything to add to that. Like, I agree with everything you just said. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, I do too. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this movie it's 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 such an interesting thing. And we didn't even get into a lot of the, like the the details necessarily because there are just so like the things that we've mentioned are already just like holy shit kind of moments. But yeah. we have a castration in this film. Yeah, which we do. Is honestly disappointing, I will say. Well, it's a castration that leads to him, I'm gonna say shitting out his intestines. Okay, that okay, what it leads to is amazing. <laughs> but the scene itself, I was just like bloodless a bloodless castration what what, what, what is this movie that, that 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 is where the budget comes in but yeah but that's the thing right because then you see this and it is a very fast shot of his like, he's like crawling out of the stall with his intestines hanging out yeah. of his ass but it's like you had the money for that you had the money for that facial prosthetic that jt wears at the very end when she bites his lip off great yeah. by the way yeah, it's like, could we just get a dick in this movie? Can we please? Like, And honestly, it is a thing where it's like, uh, actually, do we see any of the guys bare asses? No. I To your listeners, if, if we do, I apologize, but we definitely don't get full frontal nudity for sure. Um, no. In a movie that does have a woman completely naked for the duration of her screen time. Again, that, that, that could also be seen as a commentary, right, on how horror treats women in general on top of the men in the film. But could be. I do think it, the, the, it might have been a stronger point if we had also somehow exploited these men's bodies to an extent. Yes. Granted, now we don't know the perceived or the uh, proposed age of the dead girl. Right. Um, and we do know that these are underage characters in the film. Well, but could okay. Could have something to do with it? But I, I, I could. I'm not saying that's really no, the case, but I, could. I, I, I get what you're saying. I, I, I've had similar thoughts about that in movies in general, but it's like, okay, but technically, I mean, look at your Friday the 13th movies, right? Oh, those are yeah, a, a lot of those are teenagers and titties out, man. Sure. And, I, and th- there is something to say about that for sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and I'm not saying necessarily like from a viewer perspective, like, you, you know, it's on the screen. Oh, for sure. What's on the screen is like not your fault, right? But it's more like perhaps it was considered. It was 2008. Could have been a thing. I'm going to say there's only a certain level of discomfort they were willing to do. And they probably didn't think this movie was going to have to get an unrated cut to even exist. Well, uh, but it, it did. So. It's kind of interesting, too, because this movie does the festival circuit about a year after the movie Teeth. Have you seen Teeth? I haven't seen it yet. Okay, so do, do you know what it's about? <laughs> oh, I know what it's about, okay. yes. Teeth, I actually think they would make a very good double feature pairing oh, because, yes. uh, yeah, Teeth is very much, yeah, like woman coming of age, sexuality, she has teeth in her vagina, and then she starts going on a, almost like a, like a rape revenge spree, basically, like yeah. biting the penises off of a bunch of men. I think that's a very interesting parallel to what happens in this film. So, uh, big recommend, by the way. Go go see Teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I've actually, when I was watching it, was thinking about that movie. I might have even mentioned it because of the whole scene with the, you know, w- with the castration. Yes, yeah. Uh, I was just like, oh, it's Teeth all over again, but, you know, this time in a, a head, as they normally are. Would, uh, it, would you, would you, okay. <laughs> Here's my thing, too. Where are we going with this? No, like, okay. <laughs> if there is a, a living-ish body that is tied down, um, I don't 
trust. No matter how many of these guys are telling me, oh, she likes it rough, she enjoys this, I'm not trusting she's not going to bite my dick off when I put it in her mouth. I'm sorry. <laughs> the, the whole way through that, uh, this is where the caricature part of it came in. If you didn't yeah. get that already from JT, I really feel that these characters made it really clear because of what they showed there, I think was probably the most pure moment of this shared toxic masculinity right and again it's a moment of what i was saying that ricky was doing with his usage of slurs it's like they were using the language that these these dudes feel because this is how they bully people and then they're using that against them being like hey you know if you want to be a loser and uh not you know say that you weren't man enough to get in on this yep and they're just like how, how dare you, sir? I mean, because this, this, this scene is essentially a gangbang of sorts, right? I, I don't I don't know the psychology behind gangbangs or like why or I'm sorry, gang rapes. I'm sorry. Um, why? I don't understand the psychology of why this is appealing to certain rapists or whatever. But it's a thing where I'm like, you are literally watching this guy dick out, get blown by this zombie. So I am just I I. I, I would love to hear like what the appeal. I mean, again, we talked about how rape is a power play and whatever. So there's power here. But like, again, watching your male friends do it. I, 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 it's just so ironic, right? In, in, a, in a toxic masculine culture where it's like, oh, the worst thing you could do is be gay or show like whatever towards mm-hmm. another man. That's why it's not about being like, it's not about, I don't know, seeing your friend naked or whatever. It's about the emotional component. That, that, that to me is what homophobia is. Because we have all these men fucking watching each other fuck this girl. Absolutely. In fact, I mean, I have two things. First thing, it reminds me of an old Ron White joke, which I'm not the best figure to talk about when you don't want to talk about when you're trying to get away from problematic jokes. Right. This particular one, though, he was he was actually calling out one of his friends for being homophobe because his friend was just like, you know, I don't I don't like him. He's throwing all the slurs and stuff. He's like, can I ask you a question there, Bob? He's like, sure. What is like when you watch porn is like straight porn, gay porn. He's like, well, straight. I think the bond between a a woman and a man and, 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 and holy matrimony and all that. It's a, it's a beautiful sight to see. And he's like, okay. And uh, when you're watching the porn, does it turn you on more or less if the man's flaccid or not? And he's like, no, he's just got a nice, big, long, raging. You know, I didn't know that about myself there, uh, Ron. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's a thing, though. Like, it it is a thing where you either have to put yourself in their shoes or you do have this weird, like, we're not going to talk about it, but we're kind of enjoying this connection that we're having with each other. At least that's what I'm seeing from this. I've never been in any sort of, like, gangbang right. situation or, you know, a consensual. It's like, I wouldn't know what that's like. But yeah. uh, I can imagine from the way it's at least depicted in media, there's that. I also want to say uh, the second thing is uh, to be a giant hypocrite here right yeah. now and, and completely uh, backtrack on something I said earlier in this episode um, we were talking about Joanne and how mm-hmm. she's kind of not really developed. Right. And of course, the dead girl's the least developed of all the characters uh, <laughs> for a very good reason. I think that's part of the commentary, though, is really showing how they're not treating women as people. They're treating women as an object. Uh, right. You were saying get, get a fleshlight. Well, this is a fleshlight that is full body. Right. It's just bone dry. <laughs> hey. Fleshlights need a little bit of extra. They do. Well. That, that is true. You water-based lube. Don't use silicone. It'll degrade no, it. No, exactly. See, uh, we're giving you proper tips here. Uh, to, <laughs> um, and, and in this case, like I think that's where they're coming from with uh, the guy being like, I, "You're still an idiot, by the way. This thing's alive and angry. Right. 
And I'm like, unless unless they're like, oh, no, it's fine. I'll put a stick in her mouth or something to, to make sure that nothing happens to you. I'm just like, I don't know. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Just like, it's, I, I don't get it. It's, it's, it's beyond the abject, reprehensible action that you were doing. Mm-hmm. There is a level of no intellect involved that I'm just baffled by while I'm watching it. Because, like, I know that instincts can drive us to do a lot of really uh, absurd stuff. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, anybody with half a sense at that point, and he did, by the way, they they pointed out, he was almost going to show that he's a pretty smart motherfucker for a moment. (laughs) Like, he's like, no, I'm an asshole, but I I kind of, like, I have enough respect here. And then suddenly he's just like, no, okay, you call me not a man, and I'm going to just ignore the fact that she has teeth. And just kind of assume that she's not human enough to really defend herself, basically. And I guess that's it. You have to go so far into objectifying a person that you turn off all empathy just so you can have this kind of... They're having like this male camaraderie. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, because that's the thing. Yeah, she's not a. Yeah, you're right. She is literally an object. She is yeah. a a thing. And honestly, it's probably a good for us that we actually have to do all this work to get there to figure out what the appeal is. It really yeah. shows that we're not like this. <laughs> Maybe that's another reason why I like the movie. I find it so cathartic to be like, I don't agree with any of this shit. Yeah, what's going on? <laughs> And it is a. I mean, I, I was gonna. I was gonna say it's kind of a rape revenge film because the 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 rape survivor. Into one. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, though, it's not because normally in rape revenge films, the, the the rape survivor is the focus. Like they are the protagonist of the film, and that is not the case here. So that 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 that's where like you know, the 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 wrench is thrown into your gears. And then you had the added factor to it being a corpse. Yes. Well, so. that, I I was shocked at how many people. I just went to Letterbox to look at some reviews, and they were like, "Yeah, you know, there is the question of like, well, is it rape because she's not really alive?" And I'm just like, "Well, uh, yeah, yeah, it's still rape." <laughs> still rape, yes. I'm not even going to get into existential philosophy and what it means to be alive. <laughs> Can a corpse give consent? I don't know. Hmm. Uh, if if well, if if anything can look at you in the eye and go like, no. <laughs> Uh, I think there's a moment too. I don't remember which moment it was, but there's a moment where they say something and she like smiles. Oh, I think I think it's after Ricky clips the chain off of her arm and like Wheeler and JT come in and she bites or scratches. She scratches JT and she turns and she smiles and kind of laughs. And it's like, well, that looks like cognitive function right there. There's a lot of it. Uh, Even early on when she's waking up as well. Like not only Mm -hmm. is she just rageful because she's a zombie, but I think there's another smirky moment uh, really early on, too, because, you know, Ricky starts off kind of to JT. Like, I, I find this interesting, too. Like, you know, we're, we're having Ricky, good guy Ricky, basically. And his only excuses and, and arguments tend to be stuff like, is she looking at you, too? Like, she kind of like, yes. notices stuff. I'm like, I know you're trying to appeal to him and freak him out. But, like, why don't you just tell him he's an asshole and he needs to stop? <laughs> <laughs> Like he he just did not tough up and just go like I'm not your friend anymore, JT. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good example, a really good example of like, do you know who you're still friends with? Why are you friends with these people? What 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 is the value of having a JT in your life? Yeah, yeah. I, well, 
Yeah, I mean, because you tend to, I mean, in this movie, obviously, like, Ricky is the, uh, I don't want to say weaker, well, yeah, maybe I do. He is the weaker of the two, outwardly, um, mm-hmm. so it's like, yeah, he needs that JT character to carry him around, and so he ha- he's a follower, he's a follower. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, what what is the appeal of that, right? What, what, what is the appeal of being a follower? I mean, I've... I've also another thing that's been a transition in my life is going from being a follower to stepping up and being mm-hmm. a leader. Now, granted, my my work development has also thrust me into positions like this. Yeah, but for the longest time, yeah, I think that the the real appeal of being a follower is uh, a lack of accountability for one. So you don't have as much. Uh, Ooh, I like that. The, yeah, you know the the internal struggle is a lot less for you because you're like I didn't do it. Yeah. I just didn't do anything. Like, I, I didn't make this decision. I just did what this other person was doing. Yeah, I, You know what? I never that's agreed such a, with it, but... Oh, well, yeah. That's such an easy answer, but you're right. You're 100% correct. And I myself have been have done that exact same thing. Because, yeah, I, I, I confess, I have been a follower for a lot of my life. but And uh, it's taken a lot into, into my adulthood to uh, learn to... I used to pride myself on not caring what other people thought, and I would oh, say same. that. But, like, yeah. I I did. I did care what other people thought. Or at least I cared what certain people thought, if that makes any sense. I think that's another thing, too. It depends on, like, you know, if you're walking that... If you're walking around and people are like, wow, this person's so empowering. And, like, ah, oh, they, they really appreciate the fact that you don't put up with shit. But then at the same time, they also... Not, like, others notice, like, I don't know. You're not really standing up for me or doing anything. It's because it's, like... I don't care what people think can come from a I have devalued you because I won't even let you affect me anymore. Right. So I, I don't care what my enemies think anymore because they don't like me. No, yeah. Uh, that, that, no, that, 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 that's where I've kind of parsed it out, right? Like, if Donald yeah. Trump goes goes in the White House and says, Trace Thurman's an asshole, I'm not going to care. I don't care that Donald oh, Trump no. doesn't like me. Exactly. But, but if I respect you and I know that you don't like me, that will bother me. That is going exactly. to get under my skin. That's going to irk me. And I've had that too, where I've lost friends and, it, you know, especially when you're in that follower state, mm-hmm. you put yourself in the position for them to walk away from you as a punishment for them just to be like, you can't be friends with me. Yeah. And they know it hurts you because you go like, I don't really care about anything. But, well, then you won't care about me not being your friend. And you're like, well, ah, okay. That's a part of my life that just died. Cool. Um, so then you also get in a state where you're like, I'm never going to let anybody do that to me again, which can then lead you to go too far in just apathy, nihilism, that kind of stuff. Uh, and then, of course, the more soul-searching that you do, you start to realize, like, I'm going to stand up for myself and admit what I care about because I want the people that I do care about and the things that I care about to know that I care about them because I don't want to walk around as the person who doesn't care about anything. Well, because that, that's who you are, right? Like, what you yeah. care about does like, it plays a part in defining who, who you are. Yeah, and it makes you also less afraid to share that and less afraid for it to happen because, face it, we've already had it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we know what it's like and we didn't die. We're, we're, we're living. We've moved on. We have joy in our lives. It just sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what do you think then with Ricky in this movie? Does he become – does he stop being a follower at the end of this movie? Or is oh, no. is is his act of turning Joanne his fi- – maybe not final but his deciding fa- like act of following? Yeah, I think it's his ultimate follower – trait yeah i think he's a giant coward yep and uh it, it, like you mentioned before with the whole i love you joanne uh oh, her yeah. saying like dude grow the fuck up like that that was a west craven line right there 
do yeah. grow the fuck up in her final her final breath like yes <laughs> coughing up blood is not she's not saying help me she's saying grow up <laughs> get the Such fuck away from me <laughs> if there had been more of that in this movie i think it would have been one of those classics because i think it could have leaned more into letting us know that it's like taking the piss out of this <laughs> it really called to mind um have you ever seen okay this is like a deep cut maybe i don't know have you ever seen the war of the roses uh the danny devito film with kathleen turner and michael douglas a long time ago. So it's about a couple getting divorced, and they if they literally go to war. But the movie ends climactically with them both jumping on the chandelier that then collapses, and they die. But it, like Michael Douglas's last act is to like put an arm over Kathleen D- Turner and like hug her, and her final act of being alive is to throw his arm off of her. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yes, that's what was that's this scene exactly, exactly. So like, no, it was never. Yeah. We're having different conversations here, basically. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that the movie swings this way. I, I love that it dares to try a lot of these things, especially in a climate that just wasn't even ready to have a mature conversation about any of this. Uh, and it tried to do the whole, like, well, I'm going to talk to you in your terms and make a very immature movie uh, that, you know, has very immature characters in it. Uh, mm. But I can see where some people find it in very poor taste. And uh, since then, we, of course, have had films that navigate it a little bit more uh, carefully, I guess is a better word. I mean, I do hope that, I mean, again, we can talk about depiction not, e- not equaling endorsement like until the cows come home. But I really hope that people don't watch this and think that this movie is promoting the actions of these characters. <laughs> Precisely. And I, I know that there are enough movies where it's hard to tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially at the time. So I, I could see why people might go, I don't know, it feels like one of those movies, but it's like, please give it a chance, sit through at least like an hour of this thing just to see <laughs> if it, if you haven't <laughs> caught it at that point. I don't blame you for turning I'm it sorry. Off. Wait, hey, make it through the first hour of Dead Girl, then you'll know if it's for you or not. <laughs> it takes its time to get to certain points in the story. Yeah. Uh, there's one thing I wanted to, like, this is for... Uh, more of a fun conversation, uh, mm-hmm. but can we talk about the woman that they tried to kidnap just for like? <gasps> oh, okay, I, yeah. Uh, so that that scene I had totally forgotten. Also, that poor woman needs to go to the hospital. She's a concussion. But I was so worried about her. I was like, she's gonna drive off. I, I, I thought for sure she was going to drive off and crash her car, and they were gonna Me get too. her. Yeah. And then Joanne is just there for some reason. Like, okay. <laughs> She's like, there you guys are. And I was like, you were looking at this abandoned gas station? Okay. Yeah, um, right. yeah this, I mean, again, like, it. some people might balk at saying this movie is a dark comedy. Because I do think you can label it as such. This scene cements that label for me. Where it's like, yeah. this is just two idiots. <laughs> like, it might as well be Abbott and Costello, like, trying to kidnap a woman at a gas station. It is just ridiculous. And it makes them so pathetic. Yes. And we needed it because JT had been in power for so long in this movie. And we're just sitting here like, you're such a piece of shit. You're so pathetic. You're not even the like Ricky is the, is the cowardly follower. But like JT, you're not even the strong communicator of the two. That's Ricky. Well, I mean, let's yeah. not forget he can't get a real quote unquote real woman. He has to have a zombie. He has to have a yeah. corpse that just lies there for him to get off. And it's chained down too. Yes, know, chained down. Strained. Like even even the dead were walking away from JT. Oh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> That's how you burn them? That's how you do it. <laughs> uh, and 
in this scene though, I will say it did a thing that I always, I don't know about you, but like I, my heart always like skips a beat when these things happen. Like when mm-hmm. they hit her with that crowbar Ooh. and then you have the silence and then there's nothing. And then she turns around and then the blood starts pouring. That shit always gets me. Cause I'm like one day I'm going to get an injury that I think is fine. And it's so fucked up that I don't even know how bad it is. Cause that's how it happens. You know, that so <laughs> uh, uh, it's just, that gets me every time. It, I, I was like drunk, like, in my mid twenties once, um, one of many times. And I like was running down like the breezeway of my apartment complex, but like Uh-oh. there was like a step down and I basically was trying to surprise my roommate and I jumped out into like this hallway and I like held my hands out to like, look, and my head like totally hit the ceiling. And I was like, not, I wasn't knocked out. Like, I was fine, but I was like, well, that feels really weird. And I walked into the bathroom and there was just blood like pouring down my forehead from this wound in my head. <laughs> Oh God! So yeah, like I, I get what you mean. It's like that pit in your stomach. I feel the same way. Like whenever someone falls face first and onder the concrete, like yes. I, it, it, it's it's not like in your balls. Like when you get hit in your balls, there's mm-hmm. a very distinct feeling there. But it it's is. like, um, yeah, there's just this feeling of like, oh, you're gonna throw up. Wait, it's that moment when you're going off the first hill in a roller coaster. That moment of weightlessness where your stomach yeah. feels like it's kind of that. That feeling is what I get. Yes, of what you're describing. It's like you're about to faint. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's what I get when I see these things. But also just like this, that for me, like I don't get scared by a lot of things, but like, I, I don't know what it is, but like when it looks like somebody's genuinely having a medical problem in mm-hmm. a movie, I'm just like, I, I don't know. I, I, I get to the hospital. Oh God. Oh God. <laughs> just freaking out for this woman. So I was so happy that she just punches Wheeler in the nose yeah. and beats the shit out of them, gushing blood all over the place, cussing them out, steals their wallets. Oh yeah. And then calmly drives away. And I'm like, that's, this is amazing. And let's not forget the fact, too, that JT is being very picky with who they're picking as their next dead girl. So he is criticizing this woman's body because it's not good enough for him to have on this table. I'm, he likes him dead. <laughs> and apparently, like, thinner, I guess. Yeah, that's the commentary they were really trying to show there is, you know, how these people like to act as if they have any so- sort of... For one, to put a value judgment on in the first place, it's like yeah. what you have in your life shows how much you don't see people as people. But yeah. for another, even if you were to like, you know, let's say, you, okay, there's one element of the movie, and I'm going to get into this with this comment, mm-hmm. that did bother me. And okay. there's a lot of kink shaming in this movie. Um, mm. Because a lot of the things that they show in, in context of rape in this film are also very kink-oriented images that I do think, especially around the time, were being lambasted a lot. Yeah. So it, it it does equate rough, kinky sex that is consensual with rape to a certain extent, imagery wise. Are you talking about just like the fact that she's tied down? Like, like what, yeah, uh, well, like bent over, tied down. Exactly mm-hmm. how the, the the restraints on her wrists oh, are. That kind oh, oh, and, and it's it, so yeah. So the movie is basically giving off the impression it's like, oh, these two sick rapists like this shit, which makes it deviant and like they're. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas okay. I'm like, I don't know if if somebody consents to that. There, I, you know, there is something about a loss for of sure. control and, and stuff like that. That's that is for people. Not even yeah. to say a couple. That is for people to explore amongst themselves. Yeah. However many wish to do so together. But I will say, like the at the moment when you have them objectifying this woman, it it, it really shows how like it's all a kink for JT. The fact this power control stuff and the fact that he like the people who are into that in this incelly way in this controlling uh toxic space mm-hmm. that they they can't at all get respect from anybody 
but they want to gloat about the the skin that they get to touch, basically. Yeah. But then they're going to be picky about it, even though they never actually got anybody to consent in the first place, because you had to resort to rape to even touch somebody. Because you're so undesirable. Yeah. Which, and, and it doesn't come from the fact that he's poor. It doesn't come from the fact that of how he looks, how he smells, I don't know. It's because he's JT. And people can feel who JT is. And that's where a lot of these people kind of come from, is, look... Anybody who's listening right now, mm-hmm. it's okay to have thoughts that freak you out. It's okay to explore things on an intellectual, imaginative level as long as you take the steps to to really process what you're thinking and how you feel and and really try to find what's wrong with it if you feel bad. But the, the shame that you're going to have... If you were to allow that to take over and you just live through shame and you live through the feeling that nobody is accepting you because right. of whatever and live in paranoia about what goes on inside your head, that's when you start acting out to everybody about every little thing, every yeah. little criticism. And trust me, we know. We feel it. We sense it. Everybody, and I mean everybody to an extent, mm-hmm. has th- – and I don't mean these thoughts – but they, everybody has something internally thought-wise that makes you go, what the fuck did I think about that for? Uh, and then you process like, where is my head right now? Everybody's been through this. So it's nothing to be ashamed about, but do not let it lead you down a path of just continuous defense about who you are as a person because you see discourse saying that these things are wrong. Find out why they're wrong and go from there. A hundred percent. I mean, like, that's the thing, right? I mean, like, we're talking about a movie with a bunch of rape, but there's also people that have a rape king. Like, the rape play, rape porn is very much a thing. Yes. Um, I, I had a friend recently who said that he hooked up with a guy, and the, this guy's kink was he liked to hear people. He liked to be on the other side of the bathroom door while th- he listened to the, their partner shit. Um, and it's it's a thing where it's like, I mean, obviously, sorry, not obviously, maybe, but like, that's not really my cup of tea, but, um, it's, yeah, it's, we as a society, and I mean like the world, treat like sexual things that are not the norm. And of course, I'm not trying to say that rape is like out of the norm or whatever. Sorry, it is out of the norm, but it's like, that's a whole other discussion, but 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 it is a kink. It is a kink that some people have. And consent matters there, right? Like it's all about conversation, talking, and cons- and consent. And it's a role play, one hundred percent. And it is just a thing where it's like, yeah, we. It sucks that sex has been the thing that society has put all this stigma around. To where if you are, and I'm a fairly vanilla person when it comes to sex, but like we we have put on to, like, on people like if you are not completely vanilla then there is something wrong with you there is something un just not good and that yeah, it's amazing amazing the effect shame can have on someone and you you hit the nail on the head but like you can see that in people like they they're the ones that lash out they're the ones that seem the angriest they're the incels like it's all that kind of stuff and we need to d- get rid of that <laughs> absolutely and you know hey it's also okay to not be into other people's kinks. And it's also okay for you to judge people. Do it. Whatever. That's that's on you. That's your personality. You can judge people and not be a dick. Yeah. The, the, you know, that, like, really try to evaluate, is it really worth it to share this judgment? Is it really worth it to, are you going to stop something 
really bad from happening. So if we're getting in, if we get in the realms of kink and you're really against it, fucking why? Like, what are you stopping other than other people's lives? There, there's no harm in saying not for me, but enjoy. Like, <laughs> like that's all you got to do. Hell, there's nothing wrong with going. What the actual fuck? Yeah. I, there are so many things in my life, just being a horror fan, right? We have mm-hmm. people will look at the fact that I can talk about Dead Girl and really feel all of these very unpleasant emotions. I mean, I'm laughing at the absurdity of this film and the shame that I'm feeling of having even a 1% sort of understanding of where some of this behavior on display might come from. Right think fuck i never got as far as to ever think i could be capable of any of this but still just to be like oh yeah, yeah. I but it's not an understanding of like i'm gonna make excuses for these kids it's just more like fuck i hate the fact that i kind of get where why he's why he's like snapping at this person right now and fuck him for doing it because you're wrong dude you're totally goddamn wrong right um you can have that but you know, look at us. We're, we always watch unpleasant movies. You were saying that you love to get like this big rush, like you're on a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. It's this feeling like you're you're on death's door, and it lets you go, basically. Right. And if anybody looks me in the eyes and go, "That's fucked up," I'd be like, "Yeah, it is, isn't it?" You know, like I'm not gonna deny that what I enjoy is totally something everybody else is going to understand. For as long as you don't let that permeate in your basic treatment of every other person and just assume that everybody should just get on board and understand things your way and think your way, you know, that's where empathy comes into play. It's for if you want them to understand enough about you to let you just do your shit in private and leave you alone about it, (laughs) you also have to understand why somebody might respond strongly to you if you're being a little open about your lifestyles. Or maybe you're wrong in some instances. There is a time that you're just damn wrong. And I urge people to just look in the mirror every now and then and be like, are you being shamed or are you just wrong? (laughs) And trust me, you'll know the difference. Yeah. You really do. And maybe get over it. (laughs) <laughs> it's okay to be wrong or just worry about yourself like <laughs> just, just be fine if it's you, okay yeah, if you can't do all what i just said like just shut up and live your own life and if, really alone, please. if you're like sorry if you're just a bad person and like if we don't need to know about it i don't have to say something about it either i think that's a simple thing too because there are people like me out there that are just we're kind of pit bulls you know that are just like why are you showing this to me because you knew you know what i got to do now <laughs> and if if you're really like tense about shit like that and it's just innate in you i'm like i'm gonna judge you uh and it depends on what and i'm merely talking about like showing your ass you know yeah. really trying to act like you're right and you're really saying like <laughs> devastatingly problematic shit right right um, right so i'm not getting in the sense of like oh i i i feel a particular way it's like no i'm not look it's just Keep it to yourself if you really think that nobody else is going to appreciate it. But also don't show your ass when you think it's okay. Because right and wrong do exist. Yep. It's just... Uh, I, there, it, there's it's nuance. Right? Yeah, there, yeah. There, there, there is nuance. And it took me a good three decades of my life to understand what nuance meant. <laughs> exactly. That's the thing. Like, 
I wouldn't even be able to tell you what right and wrong are other than what I feel mm-hmm. and what I've learned. And there's so many other things that tomorrow I'm going to have somebody put me in my place and I'm going to learn and I'm going to grow. Yeah. And it, that's why I say it's okay to be wrong as long as you're willing to grow. And if yeah. you can't grow, shut the fuck up. Agreed. I mean, well, and, and, and the first step is being able to admit you're wrong. Like that, that is something that is so difficult for people. And even me sometimes. And again, it, it's a thing where it's like if you've gone so hard about one particular thing and you're like, oh, shit, I'm wrong. Most people's instinct is to just double down and try to just make it right, like make what they're thinking the right thing. And that's just mm-hmm. not going to happen. Not going to happen. I, I think a prime example from this film to, to, to come back to it is uh, Ricky. If if you had Ricky do the heroic thing, mm-hmm. take Joanne, and then she's running away, and he's like, not there, just drag her to where she needed to go, and her freaking out. Because, you, you know, you shouldn't care about the fact she doesn't trust you. You should care about the fact that she needs to be safe. So take her to the proper exit and make her scared. It's fine. You, you, you know that you're trustworthy. So who cares if you're scaring her right now? <laughs> but he would only be able to do that if he realized the way he had treated her, the way he had allowed JT to get this far was wrong. There, there was a lot he did wrong. And then, you know, you see how they have the end of the movie. It's like, Ricky didn't learn shit. <laughs> didn't learn a damn thing. He, yeah. he, he learned skills, apparently, but that's about it. And uh, actually, he learned that, oh, without JT, I guess I'm on top. Ugh. Talk about disgusting. I mean, yeah, th- th- this is a movie filled with that. <laughs> oh. We're going so long, and I'm really happy to do so as well. And I oh, don't yeah. mind having longer episodes. I just I want to thank you so much for this really very candid well, uh, conversation about this as well. That, I mean, look, here's the thing. Like, I picked this movie on a whim because I was like, oh, yeah, I do. I remember liking the movie. I want to talk about it. But... Uh, watching it, I was like, oh, God, like, (laughs) I feel like I have to really watch my words when I'm talking about this movie. And it's, you know, when it comes to, like, I I am not a rape survivor. I I have never been raped. So while I can have an opinion on things of this movie and, like, rape in general, I can't have an informed opinion because I'm just not, like... It's not there for me, mm-hmm. um, but I was I was a little worried. I was like, but about I don't know, like saying something incendiary, and I'm sure I have. But at the same time, yes, having a candid discussion. I mean, it's literally two of us working through our thoughts in real time, right? Because this isn't an yeah. easy conversation to have about a film that's not easy to watch. So exactly, and this is just our perspectives from our lived experiences. So you know. As you were saying, just because we are very open about how we feel in the moment mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that any of y'all really know the 30 plus years that built us to where we are today. People do go through various changes. They learn things. And the the, the way we navigated it may not be the way that you navigate it. And if you're really like, no, I just can't. I just can't with this movie. I totally get you. Yeah. I really do. Uh-huh. It's a fucked up movie. Um, I don't think it is trying to touch upon a wound necessarily, but I can see how it could do so. Yeah. And so in that sense, is it a safe film? Absolutely not. So if you've listened to this just to see if it's a movie you want to watch and it doesn't sound like it's your cup of tea, (laughs) I would never blame you for just putting this on your nope list, basically. Yeah. Avoid yeah. it at all costs. You know? But but, but it is a movie that I think will spark a lot of conversations, but given the subject matter, it's an easy like these are conversations that could quickly turn not violent, but um, in, incendiary or angry. And I feel like 
I, I want to have these discussions about this movie. I want to I want to see other people's discussions. I want to see other people's yeah. readings on this. And there there are some out there already. I mean, you, you can Google it. But like again, if anyone's listening to this, like Penny, for your thoughts, like what what was your reaction to this movie? I'm dying to know. I really, really want to know. You know, we have a comment section on most podcast platforms for a reason. So please let us know in the comments. Or uh, also, you can check it out on Twitter. In fact, I don't know if there's any more uh, any, on a detail level about the film. If you had anything else that you wanted to bring up, no, um, no. I mean, I, I trust me. I wrote my B by B plot summary, and I was, as I was going, but I think we, I think so much of this is broad strokes. I think it's important for this. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've discussed little details that contribute to those broad strokes, but at the end of the day, like this is a movie that is trying to do something, and I do think it was effective at. at I think it accomplished what it set out to do. Um, exactly. But your mileage may vary. Your mileage may vary. That's a very, very apt way to put that. Yes. <laughs> um, and for anybody who's like, who did you what you did as well? It has like this play by play of like, okay, for the what abouts? Like, you're right. What about them? You know, throwing the guys in the trunk and nobody in the school did anything. Yeah. You're like, hey, why are you not? Why are you kidnapping these students? <laughs> uh, what about this creepy teacher librarian? I don't really know. Yeah. And wax philosophical to this young boy in the middle of the library alone. I mean, uh, it's it, there lot, are so you know? many weird little touches, so many weird exactly. little touches, but it adds to the movies. I'm not going to say charm, but it definitely adds to its identity. <laughs> it, 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 absolutely so. And I do feel that all of them serve the same purpose. I think the reason this movie is just so not digestible for, for the most part is the fact that it doesn't let go of that point. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, there, there's a reason that the word toxicity is part of, you know, male toxicity. It, it's really like gross it's poisonous an hour and 40 minutes of it is is a it's a ride yeah yeah for sure (laughs) well then i think we have disgusted the audience enough with our views on this movie i hope this Uh, was a good like season premiere for disgust (laughs) holy moly yes i think this because it is a unique form of disgust right you you told us to me when we were talking through email as well like you're you're getting a different kind like you're getting the classics mm-hmm. trust me you're going to be disgusted on a much more visceral level and yeah you were not wrong um <laughs> and i'm sure we're going to have plenty of this coming up in the rest of this block of the season um but then i think i'm going to wrap up real quick so this podcast is sponsored by logic locks logic locks creates and facilitates immersive real life games for the masses is your company looking for an activity to do for your next team outing Play their online game show experience, no pants required. Looking for a fright? Follow a curious researcher into the depths of the Amsterdam catacombs from the relative safety of your own home. Check out LogicLocks.com for more information. The Beauty of Horror is also proudly sponsored by the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad. For more introspective, semi-academic, and fun podcasts like this one, be sure to check out anatomyofascream.com and if you're interested in more of my musings on beauty and horror or horror in general you can follow me on twitter which is at underscore shockaholic and you can check out my website shockaholic.org but dear listeners as trace has already kind of asked and what i want to ask one more time is what are your thoughts on dead girl have you seen it how are you gonna see it after listening to this conversation (laughs) i want to know your thoughts so you can reach out on twitter which is at beauty horror pod or via email of beauty of horror pod at gmail.com there's also our community space on discord it's a bit of a a ghost town but the more that more people that show up the more discussions that we can have 
And I want to thank you again, Trace, for taking the time sitting down with me today to talk about this for quite quite some length. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm sure most people know where to find you, but just in case they don't, where can everybody find you? And if there's anything you want to plug, uh, this would be the time. No, uh, well, first, I mean, first of all, thank you for having me on. And yeah, I co-sign on what you said. Like having, I love having candid conversations about difficult topics. So this really scratched my itch for the week, and I really appreciate you. Um, you can find Horror Queers. I'm um, at Horror Queers, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, we've got a YouTube channel. Uh, we are wrapping up uh, on Horror Queers our underseen or underrated series. So we don't do a lot of like theme or event months type stuff, but we did for th- this year. And um, we've gone through the 2010s from 2011 through 2020 on films that we consider underseen or underrated. And we've got some real gems in there. So go listen to that but um for me personally you can find me on twitter and instagram at trace d as in dog thurman and go listen go watch me tweet about things that i love because that's what my twitter's for now (laughs) it's a great thing to use twitter for i I try to to do it as much as i can as well and 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 wordle of course has oh of course so (laughs) oh use my name as your first wordle clue because it really works (laughs) it's a really good shout okay you know what i've so I'm, I'm going to give, since you've given a, a really good tip there, I've used the word scare because it's on, on you know, topic and brand, and it also works pretty nicely. That's um, really good. I'll, I'll start using that too. <laughs> there, we go. there we go. And thank you, dear listener, for joining us in talking about the disgusting, horrible things that lurk within our favorite movies. Goodbye.